Hello everyone and thank you for the download. It's Monday, June 1st, and this is episode 23 of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassi and today I'm joined by my co-host, Assault Nasaki. What's up, Josh? How could the world get any worse? <laughs> well, we still have Ben on the show, so I guess that's how. And Skipper <laughs> Ben, what's up, Ben? Sorry, I didn't see you there. I quit. I quit. Are you drinking the uh, Trash Banger Brew? Um, I'm I'm drinking anything that has alcohol in it because it's been been that kind of week. All it took to drive Ben to the bottle was the collapse of the universe as we know it. Yep. I did get the name wrong. It's the Trash Can Banger Beer that uh, I was referring to. Uh, For you Astros fans, that's uh, that's for you. So we're back. Uh, (laughs) We were doing these maybe every two weeks. This is, I believe, about three weeks removed from the last one. We saw Uh, it. (laughs) <laughs> There's been some news. Uh, theme parks are reopening. Universal first, but uh, we're not a Universal podcast. We don't we don't care about them at all. But uh, Walt Disney World is reopening, as we suggested, and I'm sure this is the only reason why they're doing it. Uh, they are doing a split opening, uh, opening Animal Kingdom and Magic Kingdom first. Um, <laughs> and, but the uh, the thing is that split is only a four day difference. I don't know if you guys were anticipating just a four day difference. But uh, that's what they're doing. So July 11th, Animal Kingdom and Magic Kingdom are opening, along with the water parks and the resorts. And July 15th, uh, Epcot and Hollywood Studios are opening. I believe I nailed nailed that July 11th date. Did you? Okay. Yeah, Uh, I lose the bet. I went for July 4th. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't couldn't tell you whatever we said. I think I said June something, so... Uh, Um, but oh, yes, actually, I, I said July 4th on Kingdom <laughs> Cast. I don't know what I said on this show. <laughs> but it was there, wrong. I know that. <laughs> there was some rumblings that Disney didn't want to be open for July 4th in anticipation of a flood of crowds and not being able to accommodate it. But um, we don't know everything as to why they're opening all four parks, uh, but much in the same way that we thought the split opening for uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge was likely a mistake. I think that Something I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel. I think that there should have been more of a uh, split than four days between opening. Uh, it's, uh, the first. Any thoughts? Any? I mean, obviously, it's just speculation, but I, it, it seems weird. It almost seems yeah. like they would have done it all at the same time or had a much bigger split. Certainly, Epcot could have benefited from some time with only construction workers in there. So exactly, exactly. Uh, well, they are we, doing something. Go ahead. I was gonna say you might be getting that. Right here, that we was something that we talked about that uh, if Epcot wasn't delayed on its opening by several months, you know, would they staff it with uh, regular cast members? And based on the announcement that they uh, or the news that just went out today or yesterday, uh, that is indeed uh, looks like what it's going to be happening, yeah. where uh, regular cast members will be in the uh, countries in World Showcase. They yeah, should staff that's... it with construction workers. <laughs> It'd be like a YMCA video. Exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> some Native Americans get a security, motorcycle. Uh... Security guards and <laughs> construction workers. Some trespasser gets arrested by a cowboy. Yeah. Yep. Is it Fleet Week or any seamen in town? <laughs> Whoa. Um, the the other thing that was interesting uh, and makes a ton of sense are these staggered park hours that they've announced. So Animal Kingdom, every park is going to op- operate for 10 hours. Animal Kingdom opening at 8, so it'll be 8 to 6. Magic Kingdom 9 to 7. Hollywood Studios 10 to 8. And Epcot 11 to 9, which makes sense. Presumably, they are going to stagger the buses as well uh, to allow for um, less people on them. Um, and then kind of lost in all of this was uh, Josh D'Amaro, or D'Amaro, I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh, I think it's Josh. I, J- it, same, same way that you pronounce it, Josh? Uh, Josue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the D is for he, savings. 
He was named the chairman of Parks, Resorts, and Consumer Products, taking over the Bob Chapek role. And we did get questions on all of this stuff, so perhaps we get into it deeper that, uh, then, but figured we'd get some deeper the top. I'm sorry? The D is for deeper. Yes, the D is for deeper. Um, I, I think it's pronounced tomorrow, but uh, somebody can correct us on that, but they'll be doing it in text, so we won't be able to understand it, which will be helpful. <laughs> So uh, this show is going to be a listener question show, uh, but as I said, most of the listener questions do pertain to the reopening of the park, so I suspect we will get into a lot of what people want to hear us talk about. By the way, before you get to that first question, can I just mention that uh, never have I been so happy to cancel my uh, summer trip, which was going to happen on July 15th. Uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as depressed as I am to not be in the parks and not sure when I'll get back in the parks, I don't think going four days after the uh, opening is the best time to go. So, uh, yeah, we have officially canceled everything and uh, we'll, we'll be back at some point, but not not with the staggered restart of uh, Hollywood Studios. So sorry, you'll have to depend on somebody else for your on the ground uh, reporting from there. Yeah, I don't blame you at all. I had canceled my June trip, which obviously wasn't going to happen regardless. But um, I would say, for me personally, I wouldn't entertain going until the fall. It just doesn't make sense. And, I mean, you can talk about uh, Florida weather at any point and it being 95 degrees. But Florida in July and August is miserable anyway. And then add in face coverings uh, of any kind, whether it's... Uh, and I believe the way that they wrote it, it is the actual face masks and not the face shields that they are requiring people to wear. Um, the face shields might be a little bit more forgiving, but either way, th- it's going to be uncomfortable. I thought forgiving. it was Forgiving. Car- what, what is the difference? I'm not sure I even know what a face shield is. The face shields are more like a welder's mask, but it's it's like the... Um, you think that's forgiving? No, no, no. It's not like a full-on welder's mask, but that's like the appearance of it, where it's a plastic see-through thing on like a visor, effectively. Yeah, I mean, that's so, what I was picturing when you said yeah. it, but I, yeah, I just... That yeah. definitely doesn't seem either plausible or uh, practical. Right. I so, thought everybody had to wear character heads. That, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's in Japan, actually. Oh, and that's, okay. that's by choice. It just happens to be that everybody wears them. Um I'm sure we'll get into some of this stuff uh, throughout this show with uh, some of the rules and, and the things that they're doing. But uh, yeah, based on just the initial setup of, of what they're doing with fast pass and dining reservations and staggered openings and all that stuff, you know, we, we, we definitely uh, it was a no brainer to cancel the July trip. And honestly, we're we're looking at Disneyland possibly in the fall if they were to get up and okay. running uh, basically because, you know, that. They don't have fast pass plus and everything like like that Florida has. Like there just seems like there's a whole lot of stuff that Florida has to figure out. Yep. That California could probably just get up and running pretty normal outside of just the screenings and stuff that you'll have to do to get into the park. So I think we're gonna actively look to get our Disney fix by hitting Disneyland, you know, a few a couple months after they reopen whenever that might end up being. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I don't know when we are going to plan our trip, but it will certainly be after we see how things operate for a little bit. Um, We have discussed the fall, but I suspect that early 2021 is even more likely. Um, It just seems that until there's a grasp and a guarantee that you're going to be able to get into a park on any given day, that uh, it's, it's not necessarily worth the trouble for us yet when you're traveling down there as opposed to being a local but um we shall see uh 
I mean, this is something that we all love. I'm glad that they're reopening. I'm glad that there's some sense of return to normalcy, but I'm still hesitant to uh, full on declare this a victory over coronavirus. So um, why don't we move on to a a different listener question? Because the rest of the show is going to be primarily about it. Uh, And while this question does mention it, it does kind of hit more on what we like to do on this show, which is armchair imagineering. So this comes to us from uh, John Kilty, who was the author of episode 13 of the show, the John Kilty Epic Stunt Spectacular. Uh, John writes, hi, Tim, Ben, and Josh. Love the show. Keep up the great work. And uh, for those people that are emailing us, that is the way to get us to read your email on the air. Yep. Yes. I was listening we, to the show. We, we can be bought. Yes. <laughs> or bribed with kindness. Yep. Uh, I was listening to the last show and thought up this hypothetical question for a possible show idea. Because of the economic fallout from the COVID-19 crisis, Bob Chapek decides that one of the Walt Disney World theme parks must close. Now, first we need to stop right here because are we under the impression that despite being CEO, Bob Chapek has the ability to make a decision? <laughs> Bob Iger tells Bob Chapek yes, one Bob, of the parks have yeah, to close. We'll, we'll modify your question slightly. Okay, so Bob Iger tells Bob Chapek to uh, – <laughs> he's got the uh, the puppet hand up there. Anyway, Bob C. decides to close Disney's Hollywood <laughs> Studios because it lacks thematic continuity. Imagineering is uh, opposed to the decision, so the Bob C. tells the Imagineers that they can move as many attractions from Hollywood Studios to the other Walt Disney World theme parks as long as they fit in thematically. Uh, that's strike two for his hypothetical because, again, thematic fit is less important. But again, we're going to play the game. Bob C. wants each of the remaining parks to receive at least one attraction from the now-closed Hollywood Studios. Bob C. does not want radical rethemes of the attractions, but minor rethemes or changes are okay. What are top players in ima- uh, You are top players in Imagineering and must figure out what attractions go to what parks to save the most rides you can. Please discuss. So, uh, well, we added I'm a couple of other Star Wars here. in Tomorrowland. <laughs> We added the caveat, Star Wars in Tomorrowland <laughs> and uh, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway in Hollywood's in, uh, sorry, in Fantasyland are too obvious to do. Um, so think outside of that. Did you guys have any other ideas? Well, I mean, I think before we launch on this, it's worth noting that this is obviously more of a mental exercise than sure, in any way, you know, practical, because I know there are people screaming at their podcast players right now that they, you know, say, that's not a practical idea. We get, we understand that. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I think one thing that it called into question for me is, you know, what does it even mean to be a, a separate gate at this point? Right. You know, I mean, because if if we take the question on its nose, which is what I tend to do, um, I, I guess you have to figure out not only how you move those attractions or assign them to a different park, but also how you actually do it with a, you know, uh, commensurate reduction in, in expense, because that was that was the premise, right, is that they can't afford to run the fourth gate there. So, you know, hey. my... Should I just go into mine, or yeah, how do you want it. to do this? Go jo- Josh, have you ever seen those little plastic sliders you put underneath furniture to move yeah, them around yeah. easier? <laughs> those are not That's... just those are not plastic sliders, Ben. Those are magic sliders. Yeah. You get you get really big ones and put them under the corners of all the attractions, and just it's easy. This is easy. <laughs> That's I just think good. a creeper that somebody like a mechanic would use would be fine as well. I'm thinking a crane. Do it from big the crane. <laughs> well, my my theory, my strategy, which again, this is you know just a, a mental exercise and nothing more. Um, what I would probably do is just demolish the parts of the studios that are not worthwhile, and just consider the remaining portion, which is primarily Galaxy's Edge, Rock and Roller Coaster, um, and uh, Tower of Terror, and that would just be. Uh, 
annexed onto Epcot in some way. That's basically what I would do. So bam, down, now you're down to three gates and you wouldn't actually have to move them. Cause obviously moving these things is even <laughs> in the world of walk, imagination, okay. it's somewhat, because literally short <laughs> of the cosmic magic slider, there's not really a mechanism by which to do it. And I'm not sure how you get the cost savings. Honestly, you know, does that say it, it saves money, but it also reduces revenue, I guess, cause you're not selling other tickets. I don't know, but you know, the premise I could, also implies that Bob Chapek and Bob Iger like thematic continuity, so uh, we can we can possibly disregard the cost savings. Now, look, as the I can di- I can disregard <laughs> the implausibility of moving the attractions. I can't disregard. I can't just pretend that Bob Chapek and uh, Bob Iger care about thematic continuity. That's <laughs> this, just, is, this is where you lost us. Yeah, that's beyond the pale. Um, well, I, I've got some continuity that I think makes sense. Go for it. it. Sounds like you're about to say something dirty after that. That's <laughs> continuity for you. Okay. When they when they built one attraction, they actually went to another park to make sure that it fit in with the sight lines. So yep. my thought is, why don't you just pick up the Tower of Terror and move it to Morocco? Because it's already got that same look and feel. And, the Morocco you know, Pavilion or the Morocco of the Country? Uh, Morocco Country. And that one is the that's the easiest one for me. Just slide that over since they've already thought when they built that attraction to begin with, how would it fit in with the sightline of Morocco? Pull it over there. At that point, maybe you reshoot some of the videos and the scenes on the inside, but I think there's just minimal work you would have to do to um, change the storyline enough to make it fit in with a uh, with a Morocco theme. So that's my low hanging fruit for you guys. How the fuck about. does Tower of Terror fit in with a Morocco theme? Just out of curiosity, it doesn't have to stay Tower of Terror. <laughs> So they have haunted things in Morocco. Come on, Tower of Shawarma. So, so Ben, I, I had the exact same thought, but I dismissed it. <laughs> Damn it! That's what you're supposed to do when you have thoughts like that. That's like the when re- you're standing on the cliff. And you're like, I could jump off. Like you're well, supposed I mean, the re- to. Dismiss the reason, that though, thought. is that like it, Ben is absolutely right that we we talk about sight lines on this show that. There are angles with World Showcase. The one sight line that apparently mattered in Epcot was that you could see Tower of Terror from various vantage points around World Showcase. So uh, they blended it in where the coloration of the Spanish architecture of Tower of Terror fit in behind Morocco when seen from a couple miles away. But when you put that right behind the Morocco Pavilion, <laughs> and it's a 200-foot tower <laughs> behind what is, what, like a three-story uh, uh, rest of the facade, that might stand out a little bit. But There's got to the- be an expansion pad behind it. You can offset it a little bit and add some Moroccan streets. The, mix- but- the expansion pad would be Ratatouille, wouldn't it be? Isn't Maybe. that uh- there's a few expansion pads back there. <laughs> Would I be correct in, in assuming that all of that care and concern massively predated the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy shoebox that they erected at Epcot? I mean, that's very, sort of... Very likely. Well, it's so, so, looking so in the other direction, Josh. Come on. The, <laughs> the Tower of Terror in California Adventure was always a bit of an eyesore. Uh, they just changed... How, like, so the building itself, like, in a vacuum, looks cool. Uh, the one in Hollywood Studios, but... There really isn't another great spot for it. Um, I did have an idea that wasn't Morocco, but we can get into that in a bit. But over in California Adventure, like it was always visible from areas where it shouldn't have been visible because it's a 200 tall foot building. Part of the problem is the word tower. It, yes, exactly. You know, unless you're going to put it in a hole, you're, you're sort of stuck with the fact that it's going to be tall. Right, right. So, um, I mean, you could you could retheme it and have it be a Moroccan hotel and have a similar enough storyline, and sure, it would fit. Um, you could put it in any pavilion in World Showcase and have it fit. But I think the for us, uh, Tower of Terror is probably our collective favorite ride in that park. 
Um, just speculating. Yeah, Anybody? I would say so. Yeah. yeah. That's a strong ride. I hope they never change a the theme with that. That is probably the newest classic there in my mind, honestly. Right, right. So for that reason, that's the one that we'd want to save. But there isn't really a logical spot to put it, I think. Um, short of doing exactly what they did, which was building an entire street that made it make sense. So mm-hmm. like to, to think about it that way, the only thing that made some sense, and I will absolutely admit that this is a reach, was to continue, you know how uh, Liberty Square into Frontierland is a chronology where you're getting uh, into the 19th century effectively by the time you get to Thunder Mountain, it's like late yeah. 1800s, early 1900s, is to effectively continue that where Frontierland would effectively turn the uh, turn into the 1900s and you could then justify having a, a building like uh, Tower of Terror at the end of the Frontierland stretch. But um, even I, that, I think, is a bit of a stretch. But at least the style of the building, Spanish colonial, is kind of in line with uh, frontier lands around the world. There's Spanish influence in Disneyland, especially. Is that uh, built? That's Spanish colonial. That's what the architecture. That's what that architecture is considered. It to is be? Uh, basically it's it's because of the uh, the roof tiles. I call it Moroccan colonial. Is there a chance to put it in uh, Adventureland and do kind of like what they did? It, yeah, you could kind of do what they did at Disney Sea, possibly. So the Disney Sea architecture is a little bit more like early 20s, 30s, if I'm not mistaken, because it's it's intended to be a New York setting. Right. Um, but the storyline inside is a bit more on the quote unquote adventure side. And yeah, the co- yeah, that's the collect- fair. Yeah. That's fair. Like it is the Society of Explorers and Adventurers influence on that. Yeah. So if it's if it's the <laughs> the the facade itself probably not really fitting uh, the the Japan facade not really fitting in Adventureland. I would think that the Hollywood Studios facade would fit in Adventureland, but the story from Japan yeah. would be more fitting in Adventureland. But. Um, I don't see a way to, uh, other than Morocco, really put it in Epcot. Um, don't really see it making sense in the Animal Kingdom at all. Uh, yes, there's a monkey that's cursed in the Japanese version, but again, the highlight of that attraction beyond the actual thrill of it is it's a it's a weenie, it's a physical building that is the appeal, and that's not really what Animal Kingdom does to draw you. Animal Kingdom well, draws you with natural. To, to be fair, we've only seen Avatar 1. We haven't seen Avatar 2, 3, and 4. So we don't know if they have hotels on Pandora. <laughs> uh, so there is always a chance they could fit in over there. Avatar so, 3 is set in the four seasons. Yep. There is one sort of macroscopic approach you could take to this which is you completely transform the way admission is done and you move all these attractions to an empty plot of land near existing parks. (laughs) But instead of charging admission per gate, you say from now on, we're selling tickets to Walt Disney world and they're $250 a day. And there is no Epcot anymore. There is no magic kingdom. They're all, it's all just Disney world. And, uh, you you know, Epcot becomes a land. Essentially, the Magic Kingdom has its lands and you make a new land that is suitable for each of these rides with some sort of pathway or transportation system that that connects them. I mean, if we're being completely blue, blue sky, (laughs) hypothetical here, no constraints, then. Well, if if we're being hypothetical, blue sky, no restraints, I'm moving uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge over to the African outpost and making that a new country in World Showcase. (laughs) 
I, I, you, at, you at the end of the day, I'm guessing they've talked about shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't the the amazing thing about the the thing I really like about the question is that what makes the stu- the reason the studios exist to some degree is that it was a blank. You know, just a pad where you you could put anything and it would, you know, if it was in any way related to a movie, it belonged there, which everything Mm -hmm. there is. So to try and put those things in other parks that don't have that sort of blank check thematically, um, let's put it this way. The bigwigs at Imagineering thought it was so implausible to be able to put those anywhere else that they actually conceived of the, of the park for that purpose and to compete with, you know, Universal, what they were doing. So it's definitely a tall order. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I will fight you on one thing, Tim, on your rules. I do think there is a baseline that in precedent that's already been set that we technically could take Star Tours and put it over, say, at Monsters, Inc. Uh, Laugh War Comedy Club because Star Tours has been uh, a part of Tomorrowlands at parks all over the world already. The, well, no, I'm not, I'm not disputing that Star Wars would fit in Tomorrowland. That wasn't the dispute. It was that that was too easy a thing to do. That was yeah. that, like because it already has been done, basically. Um, and with Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, that is going into not really a Fantasyland area, but a Fantasyland uh, type area over in Disneyland. So that was kind of why I threw those additional rules out there, because you can certainly justify putting up to three Star Wars rides in Tomorrowland, assuming you can find the sp- uh, space, and Mickey and Minnie's either in Storybook Circus or Fantasyland. I don't know that any of us, any of us well, would really object to that. The position of them is easy. No matter yeah. how awesome the facade looks, you put them behind the speedway. Yep. Exactly. We have, we have precedent <laughs> exactly. for that. We need to look I, at the speedway. <laughs> exactly. I, I would, that is going I, to be the weenie. I was thinking Storybook Land Circus and uh, Midway Mania might not be too big of a stretch to yeah, make that not. work. Uh, circuses, to me, I guess maybe possibly seem to have some kind of Midway games that you could maybe justify if you, uh, you know, went to one in, in real life. There's always uh, there's always things, games of chance, things like that, ways for uh, Circus to get extra money out of you. So I was thinking you could possibly put Toy Story Midway Mania back there in, yeah. in that section uh, and for that for that matter, circuses have animals, which means that you know you could probably do a Chester and Hester <laughs> quality uh, area and, and put it in Animal Kingdom. I think the enti- <laughs> we're going to dismiss that. Uh, <laughs> I think the entire vibe of Toy Story Land feels quite a bit like Storybook Circus, um, yeah. even though they are technically different themes. the The general conceit is like uh, it, it's it's a not the best concept for a themed environment, but it is well executed for, so it's a poor theme, but well executed version of a poor theme, um, which they've done a handful of times. And Josh, you just mentioned one as well, um, <laughs> where, yes, this is supposed to look like a shitty carnival. Well, nailed it. Cause it is, yeah, exactly. um, at, at least, uh, <laughs> at least Toy Story Land has a couple of decent rides. Um, but anyway, no, I, I think that makes a ton of sense, Ben. So we, we put all of Toy Story Land back there, and we just say Andy bought a new circus playset. Exactly. I mean, that's... And <laughs> there we go. It works. That's kind of how they do it. And you can you can uh, uh, just uh, loop in the Tomorrowland Speedway as well, because I wanted to do that as part of Toy Story Land as well. So so where are we putting Rock and Roller Coaster? Because that's, that's too big a one to just leave... Uh, Leave so Dorman this over there is Marie's down. idea, and I think it's fantastic, and whether or not you guys agree. Uh, move it to the UK Pavilion and set it up at Abbey Road Studios. Wow. God yeah, that's a good it. idea. Yeah. So why are you here and she's not? <laughs> yeah. She's so <laughs> much better than watch you. the kid, and I don't have boobs. At least not ones that can, that can uh, I, just milk. I beg to differ. 
No, I thought that was a great idea and uh, came up with it basically with a snap of a finger. I threw out the uh, the concept of the show and she threw that out. I was like, Son of a bitch. That's 12 times better than my idea. Yeah, it's but, a very good idea. Um, and whether or not you keep uh, Aerosmith uh, or you switch it to the Beatles, which would make a ton of sense as well. Um, Pink Floyd. Yeah, you, you could really – you could do a variety of different acts. But um, I think that timing-wise, uh, the studio that is in Hollywood Studios for Rock and Roller Coaster, the backstory there is convoluted at best. It is uh, – <laughs> I'm going to steal another Wakefield term. The mental gymnastics required to get that onto Sunset Boulevard was, was pretty bad. I think that – the UK Pavilion in Epcot, I don't know what you would say the year is that's supposed to be represented, but I don't think it's that much of a stretch to say that it's 50s or 60s. And no. to uh, to throw in Abbey Road uh, in there with a roller coaster, I think it, every fan would be 100% on board with that. You know, could you could you put that back far enough to where the launch shoots you back towards, say, behind Canada? And gets okay. gets you to where you can put that large building close enough to the Soren buildings that you could maybe paint them all the same color and it all just kind of blends in together since those are those are just you know, stand out all uh, anyway back in that that area of the park. As we've discussed, the Soren building that is the eyesore does a great job of blocking the new Soren building that they're going to build twelve years later. So that's why they did it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, blue, Ben. It's invisible. Yeah. <laughs> Were there any other spots that we could possibly move Star Wars rides or Mickey and Minnie's um, that made sense to you guys? I mean, Mickey and Minnie could go pretty much any any on Main Street. I mean, yeah, when, I could see that they were going to build some theater there. I forgot what the exact premise of it was, but yeah. you know, even at uh, Casey's, you know, they had a little theater thing. So I think you could definitely pull that off. I mean, space I wise. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're, you know, suspending disbelief. There probably is room actually behind some of those to, to put uh, a big enough show building to hold that. But that's, on the that's, right that's, side of main street, there would be, there probably would be enough room for it. I suspect, I think I, you know, there's a little bit of urban, well, maybe a lot of urban planning that goes into park layout. And it definitely seems to me that there's an intentional, uh, you know, attempt to avoid putting a big draw attractions toward the front of the park. Cause what they're mm-hmm. really trying to do is suck people through there into the, you know, deeper parts of the park. So I don't know how a queue, you know, overflowing into the, uh, you know, in, into the main street area would, would deal with, with affect guest flow, but there's still uh, that, plenty of precedent for them doing that, especially if it's something that's a pretty efficient ride. And yeah. Mickey Minis is efficient. I mean, uh, Spaceship Earth, they have Soren right at the entrance of California Adventure. So that's, that's not true. really a huge hurdle. I mean, how I many, understand how what many, you're saying. But. How many operational days would we actually get with Mickey and Minis? It wasn't many. Do, do we have any real sense? Did oh, that, when did you it think actually we ever open? Got, was it late February? Was it that long? Okay. So we got a little bit. Let's see when it opened um, as we Google this. We don't do this for a living. I'm trying to think when it actually opened. I mean, Gary told me that it the line... Not even, not even two weeks. Not even two weeks. Wow. I thought it was pretty short. Okay. Yeah. So, so it opened March 4th, and the parks closed March 17th, I think. All so. right. I mean, Gary wrote it on opening day, and he told me that he was shocked by how fast the, the line went, that it was much shorter than they anticipated. And you have to assume there's probably still some efficiency they can squeeze out of it, so... Maybe they could put it there and not have anybody spilling out into the plaza. Yeah, I mean, it, it, all you have to do is just build a longer queue. But yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, what, what about uh, what about Conservation Station? 
with the uh, talk of maybe putting a Zootopia back there and, and redoing that area to make it more kid friendly, could you just do it around Mickey? I suppose you could you could anchor it, but I mean, I don't know that Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway makes a whole lot of sense as like there's a there's a train that takes you back there, <laughs> a conservation side of the attraction. Yeah, I'm I'm voting Main Street for that one. If not, obviously Fantasyland. But I win. <laughs> what about what about uh? Could Fantasyland use a theater the same way uh, there's one? at Disneyland between their fantasy land going into uh, Toontown that we could possibly salvage uh, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, yeah, I think you Frozen sing along, something like that to, to give a little outdoor theater setting. Yeah, I think you can certainly justify that where, and that's the other thing too. Like we didn't even talk about any of the shows that you could put Indiana Jones in Adventureland if you wanted to. Um, you could put it where Dinosaur is. It'd be a very easy overlay. <laughs> Haven't they done that yet? Yeah, that, this is the exact same to... ride layout, right? Or pretty it damn is. close. It's pretty pretty close. I think there's some difference in elevation changes, but it's pretty darn similar. And that was a long-standing rumor. I don't know if you, if you even knew that or you're just being wise ass, Josh. But <laughs> was that was a long-standing rumor that Indiana Jones would take over like all of Dinoland. Yep. Um, and there are people that were rip shit that archaeology and uh, what's the term for uh, paleontology rather are uh, are different things, which they are. But still, who cares? Yeah, come on. <laughs> let's let's any, we gotta pick, any, our, any, we gotta pick our battles here at this point. Yeah, exactly. Are there any uh, restaurants or anything we need? A uh, sci-fi dining in Tomorrowland? Can we use a uh, full-service restaurant? Be better than uh, uh, Cosmic Rays? Hell yeah, but, it is. Um, let's see. We gotta we gotta say Pizza Rizzo somehow. That's a that's <laughs> what we, gotta, we gotta say. Uh, Brown Derby. Um, could you do something like that on Main Street? I mean, I don't know where else you'd put it, but. Kind of like Waltz in Paris, a nice upscale steakhouse, you know, fine dining. Yeah, uh, yeah that'd be interesting. That'd Put be it where uh, Steak, what, what's that restaurant over at Springs? Steak 451? I'm blending the name of that restaurant in a Michael Moore book. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's not a terrible idea. Put our, put our favorite restaurants over at uh, Disney Springs. There you just, go. Just yeah, so I we uh, don't could, lose them. You could definitely get away with doing Sci-Fi Dining over there. But Sci-Fi Dining would work in Tomorrowland as well. I think that you lose the conceit of um, you're actually going backstage and you just eliminate that aspect of it. But, yeah, I think that would work. Yeah. I think the the, the biggest thing here is that even, even though we complain that Hollywood Studios is a bunch of convoluted themes, in most cases we can't really find a better spot for it. So yeah. that's why it ends up there. So. I mean, the studios is a blockbuster video for for kids uh, who don't know what that is. That used to be a building you could go into that had movies of all different genres all over the walls. I mean, that's yep, basically exactly. what studios is. I mean, they're they're you know, the the sound stage. The sound stage. Uh, I think I might have had a small stroke earlier. I'm having a lot of trouble remembering names and words today. Uh, but you know the st- oh, Jesus the sound I- stage <laughs> theming idea. Use your words, Josh. Was brilliant. In that it really did give the ultimate degree of flexibility to where if something was a film and you could just loosely tie the attraction you wanted to do into the idea that you were going into a place where part of that film was being made, then they had it nailed, you know, and, and you know, rock and roller coasters, just the same thing as a, you know, with music. So a recording studio version of the same thing. So that is the ultimate that's like the Swiss army knife of Imagineering, honestly. It is so, a black box attraction that they wanted to do. but Exactly. It's a beige box instead of a black box. But I think at the end of the day, it's the box that matters. 
The problem, yeah, it is. <laughs> the problem is so those <laughs> buildings are remarkably uninteresting to look at at times. Yep. And thankfully, they at all have, times, <laughs> <laughs> they have themed uh, an, enough other areas to make it work. But I remember on the Imagineering story when they were talking about walking around the Studios Park in Paris, and one of the Imagineers didn't recognize that they were actually uh, that on they were stage. actually on stage <laughs> because of how shitty the uh, the unthemed. Uh, sound stages look like but, but. it's funny you say that but that there was this other layer of theming that was in the original which is that they were going to be actually doing production there right, and that, right. that was the thing that really sort of smoothed over that deficiency is because if you buy that as being a working uh, studio then all of that is forgivable but once you take that away all you're left with is a theme park and then the lack of theming becomes sort of hard to explain there was also plenty of areas that we can now walk through, or at least were able to walk through at some point, that were never intended to be guest passageways um, in that park. But anyway, I think that was a really good question. Uh, we certainly would appreciate uh, Very questions, good. those types of mental thought exercises like that in the future. So thank you, John, for that one. Hey, Tim. Yes, Ben. I am going to say I'm going to say one more real fast, just Go because uh, I have to defend it since I work there, but. Uh, since it doesn't look like they're ever going to update Mickey's PhilharMagic, and I can't look at... You, you know, can't put the Muppets there. I'm putting the Muppets <laughs> in PhilharMagic, because I can. I, I would much rather watch that old movie than watch 2002 uh, bad CGI animated film. If they're not going to update it, then let's let's switch it out. I'm putting Muppets in uh, PhilharMagic. So we go to like 1993 bad CGI, but not the primary. Yeah. I can t- it, there's, o- there's only one bad CGI character in that one, at least. I'd be fine with that. I mean, I like Philhar Magic as well, um, but I also think that Philhar Magic, the structure of that, and we're getting far off topic here, is it's such that they, could, <laughs> they could they could either rotate in uh, new things or almost yep. have it be like a Star Tours type setup where like you have a few different options of uh, scenes for each uh, transition, but. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I don't really have a problem with Muppets going into Fantasyland. I think Fantasyland is almost a catch-all as well. I ideally would think that it would be all those European fairy tale-based stories, but we've certainly stepped away from that. So, I mean, do people really? Uh, Ben's not going to like this comment. <laughs> really, it's just a question, so I don't think he can object too much. You son of a bitch! Don't do it. When people think Muppets, do yeah. they really think Disney for the most part? I I can tell you that I don't. What do you think? Think I don't know. Entity? I don't. I think more. I my brain goes more to like Sesame Street than it does to to Disney. Well, I mean, all of the Fantasyland attractions that are there to me sort of have. They bring me back to when I was in a you know elementary school and they would play a Disney movie. Th- those were the films that they were showing. So the Muppets weren't that. It's not. And I'm not trying to criticize the Muppets in any way. I'm just saying to me, it's not in that genre really. Does Roger Rabbit feel like Disney to you? No. Okay, so that's not in Fantasyland in Disneyland, but it is in their Toontown, um, which I mean is fitting because there was a Toontown in Roger Rabbit. But like I, I view that as almost an extension of Fantasyland out there. And I mean, I'm I'm a bad person to ask because as, as I've admitted many times, I'm not a huge. I appreciate the Disney films for, Disney for there, fan. but like I'm not. <laughs> that's not my like. To me, the parks are something that are totally different from the films. And I, I know it's weird because they the films play such an influence. And without them, the parks probably wouldn't exist. I mean, they certainly wouldn't exist. But um, to me, a, a theme park attraction is 
really separate and apart from any film that it might be based on. So honestly, even though on this show, like I just made that comment about how I don't think of Muppets as being inherently a Disney property. I don't uh, think I'd care if you gave me a good attraction nope. and it's some fantasy land. I don't think it would ruin anything for me. You're, you're right. I apologize. I shouldn't even put it there. I, you're, you're <laughs> right. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and put it in the American you're put it in Epcot, you bastard. Put it in Morocco. I know it. We got go a restaurant. At, we got Sam Eagle's restaurant out front, so the the movie will uh, dump out into the restaurant. We'll put a nice gift shop. It'll take over American Adventure. It's cool. When some no Volvo it's comes out around of the fantasy cor- land. When some Volvo comes around the corner, Arab drifting and kills Kermit. That's going to be on your hands, buddy. <laughs> Shaking my head. I love I love how you knew where it was going right off uh, the bat. That's just- <laughs> Ben's being way too friendly. He's about to fuck up Epcot. Kermit's a frog. Let's put it under the tree of life too. <laughs> Kermit's the new narrator at Spaceship Earth. There you go. Oh. There you go. Yeah, Phoenicians. <laughs> that was pretty good, huh? <laughs> I couldn't remember that Ray Bradbury wrote Fahrenheit 451. I said it was Michael Moore, but I, but I could do a balls on dead nuts curb impression on the spot. I thought it was STK 451. Yeah. I was having a lot of trouble with that. Oh. You could see how hard I was trying to put that together. And I'm the one drinking. Well, it's nighttime, so yeah, I'm drinking sure. too. With, um, with desperately trying to get this back on time. Tim's so drunk, he doesn't even remember that he has breasts. With uh, go, go turn your washing machine back on. <laughs> with uh, with Muppets, I could also like you. You threw out the idea of a theater on Main Street. Leave his wife out of this. Well. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Why is she alone with good ideas? Yes, exactly. <laughs> she does the laundry uh, and the thinking. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> this is why I had detention a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, our next uh, question comes from our favorite porn star, Bruce McClintock. Oh, yeah. Uh, he is the best. Hi, guys. Thanks to Tim for man- pronouncing my name correctly and Josh for pronouncing my porn name correctly. <laughs> ben, you, you just need another 10 or 15 minutes to guess that John Wayne movie. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't remember what he's talking about, but let's assume that was funny. Um, now that you fix the, the searchers. <laughs> Now that you fix the new Epcot land names with a preposition, what are your thoughts about Disney leadership and their public presence at the start of the COVID crisis? My perception of Bob Iger was that he saw what happened in the Asian parks and retired before COVID closed the parks in the U.S. I think we all agree with that, right? Something yeah. along those lines. That uh, Then he returned because COVID closed the parks in the U.S. My perception of Bob Chapek is, well, that he has no public presence. These are uncertain times, but all the more reason to manage public perception, especially if you own Disney stock. Flip Flop Iger and Silent Bob are not doing it for me. I love that, by the way. Uh, then again, Silent maybe, Bob was very good. But, yeah. <laughs> maybe Bob C only makes things worse when he speaks publicly. It would have been better Twitter. if Jay Rizzullo was a bigger player right now because he'd have Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> Uh, so with no narrative for Bob C after he took over as CEO during the crisis, I came up with my own. A, he curled up in a ball for a month on Walt's rug in the hidden Disneyland apartment. That's the correct B, one. B, he's been living in the land pavilion off of hydroponic vegetables and fish water. C, he's constantly rearranging deck chairs on the Disney magic to try to form three perfect circles. <laughs> D, he has been filling out applications to work at Epic Universe. Thanks for the uploads. <laughs> Um, we're, we're going to ignore the actual question here. And I think it, his, uh, his thoughts on what Bob C might be doing as taking over here. Um, 
you, I'll I don't tell know you exactly he, what Bob C is doing. He's spending a lot it. of quality time with his money. <laughs> probably, probably. Although he he wasn't getting the same paycheck that Bob Iger was. I mean, first uh, first month in the job that makes a ton of sense, but uh, it really does seem like he is put in place as the fall guy here. And I'm sure that Disney has uh, uh, contacts directly with the CDC that that probably rival most small countries that they were getting yep. information well before uh, it was publicly available. And that was the writing on the wall for Iger. That, we speculated a bunch of other things, and I don't think we even hinted at this, but that makes a ton of sense to me now. Well, <laughs> you know, I, there's this funny tendency that it's, I think that the technical term for it is hindsight bias, that, mm-hmm. you know, once now that we know how everything shook out, we retrospectively look back at what happened and say, oh, well, this was obviously the strategy or the plan. Um, I'm a little reluctant to do that just because my experience in every profession I've ever had, and you could, yes, you can draw conclusions about me based on how many there are. Um, but I've always expected that when I get in this profession, I'm going to be surrounded by people that are competent. You always think, okay, I'm going to be a pilot, and I'm going to be surrounded by people who are competent pilots. I'm going to be a lawyer, and the people are going to be competent lawyers. And I think when you're a you know blue-chip executive, you probably think those people must be competent, and everyone around them must be making good decisions all the time. I, I bet it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I suspect that you know there's some truth to this, I think. Um, but I doubt that it is as, you know, cunning and clever and, uh, you know, well-planned as, as the, as the question would make it sound. I think Iger just didn't want to deal with this shit. I think that's what it came down to that. Like that that to me is very plausible. You know, like this, he felt that this was going to be at minimum a six to 12 month battle and he didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. I don't, I don't really think that, well, there. And again, this time I'm really not going to go political. I learned my lesson (laughs) because I don't want to listen to Tim bitch about having to edit it out. (laughs) But there, there's, there were so many variables in play when this whole thing started and whether or not you think it was prudent that the country shut down, whether or not you think it's prudent that we're coming out of it now, despite ostensibly there not being a dramatic change in the circumstances. The fact is, I don't think that anyone nine week, nine, 10, 12 weeks ago, really knew what what the time frame was from which we would at least try to emerge from this. So, yeah. you know, that creates a problem when you're trying to deal with, with shareholders, which is something that Bruce brought up is, you know, what is the right message to send? Because on the one hand, you want to give the shareholders confidence because you don't want a massive sell off of your stock, right? Would you agree with that? Correct. Yep. Unless but, it's internal. <laughs> But in creating that confidence, you don't want to build expectations in the short or medium term that that you don't end up meeting. Because if you make a projection that turns out in six weeks, two months, whatever, to be completely wrong, then you get the sell off then. So, Mm -hmm. and that's the problem that these, you know, executives constantly face. And there are some companies that have a reputation for consistently under, you know, undershooting. Their projections are constantly low. You know, but even those companies struggle with the fact that once Wall Street gets used to the fact that their projections tend to be under reality, they as they expect the company to significantly beat the projections. Otherwise, you end up with the stock taking a hit. So 
the way that most companies do it, as I understand it, and I'm certainly not a Wall Street guy, is they, they essentially, there's some cadence and some sort of relationship that exists between Wall Streets and these industrial or uh, institutional investors that they, there's just sort of an understanding as to how the company works. And those decisions are largely made, uh, as, as far as what the message is, is largely based on history. And when you have an event like this where there is no history for it, I don't know what companies are supposed to do. So... You know, to get back to Bruce's comment, is silence worse than making statements that are wrong? I don't know. You know, to me, you, I definitely see how you could look at the company and say it looked kind of rudderless under the you know leadership of uh, uh, you know under its uh, after Iger gave up the reins. But on the other hand, I'm not sure what it was that they should have done. If I were a better researcher and podcaster, I would have looked at what <laughs> some other companies have done and tried to draw some comparisons, which I didn't do. But my sense is that everyone's just sort of sitting around wondering what the hell's going on. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where I would go. It's almost like I feel somewhat sympathetic to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, For sure. Because of the situation he was given. But the one thing I think we all have to remember is, you know – just because he's not communicating publicly for us to hear uh, forward-facing doesn't mean that he's not leading from within. Uh, yeah, I, I work for a major, major corporation that has done very little on the public side speaking out about it, but the communications with the CEO directly to me has made me feel very good about our situation. Uh it, but all that stuff's been very internal. Uh, none of that stuff has gotten out to anybody in the public. Uh, and, and, you know, I work for a company that's large enough that if this were to get out, it would be news. Um, and so I do want to say that I think there, uh, the, 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 the quietness publicly that we are not hearing, uh, you know, on the web or whatever we, whatever we would want to be fed doesn't necessarily mean that he hasn't been doing a, his job leading from within uh, that just has not come out uh, forward facing. But I do feel a lot of sympathy for him based on just the situation that was handed over to him. And it was handed over to him uh, quickly. You know, right. this it seemed like a very rash decision by Iger. There was no transition period. Th- this was, I remember being in the office and, and you got to remember I, the, the, I work for a company that was sold by Disney here recently, and yep. so the Disney news uh, is, is very prevalent in our situation and, and within our company. And so I remember being in the office the, mo- the moment the Iger news hit, and it was like a bombshell being dropped, you know, and we were all like, you know, just wondering what the situation, how that pertained to us even a bit. Uh, so he was he was dealt a raw hand. From oh, the absolutely. Get-go at, I mean, less than a month and, later, every theme park in the world that they own is yeah, closed. Yeah. So there's there are no right or wrong decisions. I think I think you know the only thing that we would maybe hope for is just that you know maybe the Disney cast members were taken a little better care of the ones yep. that were furloughed and, and situations like that. But as far as like the running of the company day to day and just how the news changes on a dime, there's nothing that I can really hold him accountable for or blame him for within the actual running of the company in in that way. At least not that we know publicly. And right. we talked about this on on the last show about. Uh, we use it in the uh, term of politicians, but what you want in your leaders, be it a company, be it uh, a government leader, is almost for them to to not make things worse. Right. And in a crisis is what I mean. So in this case, he was handed the reins in the middle of a crisis effectively because the Asian parks were already closed. Um, or at least some of them were. I don't know if Japan was closed when he took over. But when you're handed... Uh, uh, such a shitty hand it's it's a rough start and this may have been the quickest way for him to be named ceo it's entirely possible that uh kevin mayer who we were referring to before didn't want it 
under this under these circumstances. And he went off to TikTok since we last spoke. But the uh, uh, the nature of this probably won't come out for years when we figure out, you know, when Bob Chapik writes his memoir about his time. But um, he's also 60 years old. So it is entirely possible that this was setting him up to be the fall guy and giving him a nice retirement plan, but just deal with this shit because Bob Iger doesn't want to do it. Um, when you say the fall guy, uh, you know, I, I understand what you mean, but then again, doesn't that sort of suggest that someone would have blamed Iger for the... Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I, I fully understand. I mean, primarily from a stock point, uh, stock, stock price standpoint. Does that um, help the stock, though? Because, I mean, let, let's look at it this way. Let's assume that the company's primary objective is to preserve the stock of the price to the greatest extent that it can be. Yep. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be, when you have a long tenure CEO like Bob Iger, who's been very successful in terms of market capitalization, yep. does it, does, wouldn't it be worse to make an intentional decision that would cause the company's financial performance to decrease at the exact same time that you switch CEOs. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that tend to actually be harmful to the company? It seems to me that if wall street trusts Iger and the company takes it on the face because of this COVID thing, that there would be less chance that wall street would react negatively to, to Iger's response to it. They would just, you know, have at least given the benefit of the doubt that he was doing the right thing. Whereas if you do this, it seems to be like Wall Street's going to be like, what the hell? I am operating under the impression that Bob Iger did not want to deal with this shit. So That to me seems perfectly reasonable. So, so that if that is the case, they had to find somebody. And then it's not a matter of Bob Iger looking for somebody else to be the fall guy and specifically choosing Chapek. It's that Bob Iger didn't want to do this, so the board had to find somebody. So I didn't right. perhaps mm -hmm. do a great, a great job of explaining that. It's okay. I, but I think that... The reality of the situation very likely is they knew that they were in for a rough year in 2020. Iger didn't want to deal with it, and Bob Chapek was probably one of two candidates that were available. Um, it was presumably down between him, Kevin Meyer, and maybe some external candidates. Uh, you weren't going to bring in an external candidate that quickly, so it was going to be between the two of them. I honestly and thought I, I would have bet on Kevin Meyer, honestly. But it's it, uh, with Kevin Meyer in the back of our mind, thank God for the company that they launched Disney Plus when they did. Yeah. Because if they had waited yep. uh, a year to do that, they would, have missed, yep. they would have missed the boat there entirely. But um, to, to his point, I think it really remains to be seen how we assess this crisis. And I think perhaps the, uh, the way to look at it is – once we see the parks reopen and you can kind of assess there, but I think we might be in for universal with uh, and we have another question that pertains to this, but universal has a five week head start on Disney and we very well may see both companies botch this in some way, shape or form. Both companies do things in their own way and it excels, but I could see it being uh, a comparable situation to the opening for Hagrid's and the opening of Galaxy's Edge, where there are some very positive things and very negative things about both of them. And we really are just kind of in the case of coronavirus and uncharted territory, where I really don't know what this ultimately means. And I think that we're going to get into some of the nitty gritty of that when we look at some of our other listener questions coming up. According to Derek, and this is before the parks even opened, Universal's reopening went perfect. It's true. And Disney's is terrible. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> just a little spoiler alert. Yeah. 
Why don't we move over to some of our Facebook questions? Uh, this one comes to us from Ben Young. Do you guys think that some of the recent changes will end up being permanent or will things go back to normal? When will that be? <laughs> Uh, ben, you touched oh. on some of these changes that are going to be in place. You want to kind of go over those a little more thoroughly? Uh, well, the the main changes are the what they did to the reservations that were already there, and the ones you know into the future with the canceling of all dining plan uh, of, of dining plans through September of twenty twenty one. Yeah, uh, canceling all dining reservations, canceling all Fast Pass Plus uh, reservations that are already there with no indication on when those will come back uh granted i i think we're all quite aware that it's because of capacity issues and them sure. trying to have to figure out you know the the getting people through the lines ha- how the dining situation is going to be with the restaurants but uh i think that does possibly play into changes that we could see down the line this is this is stuff that we've talked about yeah. you know and, and the thing that scares me the most is this is the perfect opportunity for when fast pass comes back it's an it's an upcharge yeah, absolutely. They take they, they they take it all away now, and when it comes back, you're paying for it in a, in a whole different setup. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, take I, the other side of that coin. It's also a chance to undo some of the damage they did with my Magic yep. Plus in the first place. Absolutely. Yep. Well, I was gonna say that was the next thing I was gonna say is this is a great chance for them to do a, uh, a reset on some of the things that we've been complaining about. Uh, now, if they'll fix it in a way that we are all happy with, that's that's still left up for debate. But. Uh, yeah, I do think there are going to be some major changes to the parks when uh, when they are back up and running at full capacity at you know sometime in the next couple of years. There, there's an old expression in my world that bad facts make for bad law, and it's uh, you know it's sort of a cutesy way of saying that. Um, well, I don't know that I'm even relying on this correctly, but I want, want, I'll just speak from my own preferences. I, it concerns me whenever something bad happens and you immediately see laws passed. Because mm-hmm. they always have unintended yeah. consequences, and sometimes they're worse than the thing that the you know the law is seeking to to help with. And I, I definitely worry about the same thing happening here. And the problem with these sorts of changes is it's easier to make a change than it is to get rid of it. You know, once the company you know decides that they're going to do something a certain way, it takes a pretty big force to to get them to go back. And, right. and there, there's a lot of reasons for that. And some of it's just ego. People don't want to admit that they were wrong. Uh, you know, customers complain when you change things. They've already changed it once. They don't necessarily want to deal with the, you know, pushback of changing it back, even though there's going to be a contingent of people who liked it better before. So, yeah, I mean, I think Ben's concern is absolutely justified. Um, and I'm sure, you know, there's not a simple answer to his question. Some of what no. is being changed is going to be effectively permanent, whether it's 10 years or, you know, who knows. But, you know, <laughs> some of it will probably be more temporary. But, you know, I think it's safe to say that when we go back to Disney the next time, it's going to be a materially different experience than it ever has been before. And it's going to take a long time, if ever, for it to go back to what it was. And maybe it shouldn't. You know, hopefully hopefully there will be some lessons learned that can, you know, balance the interests of public health and providing an awesome experience. But I don't think for a second that that perfect solution is going to be put in place, uh, you know, quickly. Tim, you can answer this better than I can. Seven. Who? <laughs> Forty-three, actually. All right. Next question on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> now, who is there that's still in a position of power Steve. that has that to uh, <laughs> direct connection to my Disney, the 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 the, the my Disney experience, mm. the plus, all that stuff that 
would fight for things to stay the same way they are based on how they developed it. Is that is that team like out at this point that pretty much, you know, Iger and Chapek so, would be the guys that would be left. But that, Chapek wasn't it, even a Parks guy at the time. Right. So the people that are in power now, they have no direct connection to that. They have no they, they didn't write the checks right back then. So changing that stuff should, I would think, it'd be a much easier path to do whatever the heck they want to do moving forward and not have any direct connection to any of that infrastructure that was already put in place. So people tune into this show to hear uh, Josh's legal explanations of things and then me bringing <laughs> it into an accounting perspective. So <laughs> now that was I the funniest joke Tim's ever told right there. <laughs> I think that's the primary motivation for people listening to this show. Although I will actually say to interrupt you quickly, I, I have a friend... I, I have someone who listens to the show who, who talks to me who said that they actually legitimately enjoy my legal explanations. I was shocked to hear them say that because I generally apologize for doing it and feel gross the whole time I am. But uh, there's at least one person in the universe who likes the accounting slash legal side. So I mean, I, I say this, though, tongue in cheek, because we are we, we overanalyze stuff on the yep. show and we do it from a variety of different angles. Uh where our expertise arises and then where our fandom arises. But anyway, um, one of the reasons why you don't just give up on a system like FastPass Plus or the infrastructure that was built when it's deemed as a failure, and I don't know that that's entirely true uh, as a statement, but let's say it was we deemed, as, deemed a it as a failure. But we, I, we I don't know that, as a failure. I don't know that the company um, has. So the re- the reason why you don't do that is the uh, you can benefit from depreciating that expense, and we know makers modified accelerated cost. Yes, you know, what's what is that? What's the rest? Jo- of Josh read an accounting term. Uh, it's not important. <laughs> Nobody cares. Uh, but different things depreciate at different periods of time. If you buy a commercial building and say you rent it or you use it for uh, for your business, you depreciate it over thirty nine years. Technology depreciates much quicker. Sixty nine. Uh, uh, 39, not 69. Um, You're doing it but, wrong. But something like FastPass Plus and the way that this system was set up, I want to put it out there. And I may be somewhat incorrect here because I don't have Disney's books in front of me. But our objection, our primary objection to my Disney experience is the advanced booking component of it, right? I don't know that we're necessarily upset with the technology aspect of it. Is that fair mm. to say? I'm kind of upset with the technology aspect of it because I think it was shoehorned in for the sake of technology. Okay, that's that's fair. But what concerns me is that what I don't like about it is the scheduling component. And if you look at that in the context of COVID and social distancing, it's going to be the scheduling component that they, you know, put up on a pedestal as being their way to to preserve public health. They're gonna because what we want is a spontaneous attraction where we show up wherever we want and do it wherever we want. The part, I, I fear that the company will say that that's the exact thing they're trying to avoid because that, you know, results in higher levels of contact. So I, I understand where your objection is because my objections are the same, but one of the things that was internally sold as we understood it was that the advantage of fast pass plus the advantage of those advanced bookings was that Disney could schedule their staff internally yeah. Uh, yeah. better. Now, I get that. I'm, I'm fine with that. And that, 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 makes, that makes sense logically. I don't know that the money savings that was touted by uh, the powers that are no longer in power was actually there. But if they are requiring you, at least for the short term, to schedule what park you go to, then the need to schedule those fast passes, at least for the internal functionality of it, is gone. So if you have to decide 
you know, 30 days out that you want to be at the Magic Kingdom, then Disney can schedule staffing accordingly and you don't need to have your advanced fast pass booking. So that's something that could potentially be sacrificed here. And I don't know if that's ultimately what's going to happen. But if you have to choose your park versus the three rides in that park that you want to go to, um, I'm going to choose the park uh, if I'm given the choice of A or B and like the legacy fast pass rules. Um, but I want to go to the, the question itself was what is going to stay and what is going to go away? I guarantee Disney has not made that decision right now. I, I wouldn't argue with that for a second. Uh, I mean, this situation is entirely fluid and there's a uh, quote, I think Churchill said it, but uh, never let a good crisis go to waste as fans. It's weird for us to take that into consideration here. But if the silver lining here is that they ultimately do away with fast pass plus as we know it and revert to legacy rules or hell, even make it a a pay system like over in Disneyland, I'd be happy with that. And that's a silver lining takeaway of this that I would be in favor of. What the hell is up with you two bringing up all these historical quotes? I sound I like we want to I sound don't bring scholarly. anything to the table. I got <laughs> you know, as, as Hulk Hogan once said, "Say your prayers and eat your vitamins, brother." This Next Churchill show, said, just, "Don't eat." You just with a bunch of random quotes from historical figures that have no bearing on the conversation. <laughs> In my defense, I did look up uh, who actually said the quote. Um, I wanted to give the impression that I was saying it off the cuff, but by by looking it Blew up, it. I can say I, I think dude, it was Churchill. You should have just gone with it. I was impressed. Now I'm just disappointed. <laughs> well, Ben called me out. I want to say how much of a fraud I am. <laughs> That's not how fraud works, Tim. <laughs> As Yogi Berra wants to say, let's play two. I'm, I'm just going to start randomly throwing crap. That, that was Ernie Banks. Tim, you suck at fraud. That was Ernie Banks, damn it. <laughs> fat lady sings. Not over to the fat lady sings. That's Yogi. One of my favorite memes is Abraham Lincoln saying not to believe anything that you read on the internet. Yep. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, unfortunately, we can't truly answer Ben's question uh, about whether the changes are going to be permanent. I think there is a greater than 0% chance that some of these changes are going to, uh, going to remain. We know that last year at the D23 Expo, they announced the Disney Genie, which was going to be their scheduling component. It was intentional. It was intent. Well, I don't know. It's intentionally vague. The name might remain, but what it is, uh, may evolve because they never really said anything further on it other than that it exists. And it, it better be way down in the development process. Otherwise, they're not going to throw any extra money at that. What they did say on the um, uh, as a, an explanation for the cancellation of things is that they are developing a new reservation system. So whether they call that the Disney Genie and say, all right, when well, we did that project, you never know. But um, as, a, as somebody who's working on a team right now develop, developing a new app and website, it's amazing how astronomically expensive that stuff can can run, yeah. uh, you know, when taken on a on a full and, and like what I'm working on is minuscule compared to what they're thinking like with on the genie level. Uh, so I, I do think I'm inter- I, I would be interested to see how far along in that project they are. Sometimes they throw those ideas out there way early in the development process just to get people talking. We don't see it for a couple years down the line, uh, but based on how things are set up right now, I it would shock me. If that ends up happening, I'll just put that out there now. That's my quote. Put it on there. Put it on the board. <laughs> we got a couple of other uh, two questions from Ohana Bet from Brian Fleming. Yes, no, <laughs> um, maybe. <laughs> Brian Fleming asks: Disney opening opening versus Universal opening. Who did it right? 
Forever the Gatorland. Why do you think Disney gave Universal a good six weeks alone in the market to get busy? Now that's a um, good question. So yep. here's the thing with that, though. That like I does, have an answer for that one. Here. Does does Disney uh, like Universal's got five weeks ahead of Disney? If Disney wasn't ready until July, they don't lose any more money just because Universal is open ahead of time. Like if Universal was ready before them, yes, the opportunity costs of lost revenue is there. But if Disney wasn't ready to be open in July, I think Disney cut people like the summer uh, uh, college program people from uh, mm-hmm. the international students. They cut that earlier than I think Universal made some of their decisions. And that very well may be the reason why they need an extra month. Yeah. It could just it, it easily be staffing. But well, anyway. when you when you cut when you cut international and college programs, they don't live in that area, right? That that's that's the hard part. Whereas Universal with the furloughs, I would imagine most of them stuck around the area waiting for the you know the announcement of when they're going to reopen and can get back in those parks. But so just those two cuts alone on the Disney side, those are a. Uh, uh, thousands of cast members that are no longer in the Orlando area ready to go at the at a moment's notice. So right. I think you're dead on on that, I that mean, point. Yes, Universal is a large resort, but Disney employs many more people, uh, many tens of thousands of more people than Universal. I really think it's an employment issue. But yeah, uh, Josh, you had another thought or possibly the same thought? Uh, I mean, I think your thought's probably right. It's certainly plausible. The more strategic answer, which, you know, is probably not right, is that it does, you know, in business, there's this idea of the first mover advantage, which you'll Mm -hmm. find in most business, you know, introductory business books. But if you read most introductory business books, they'll also talk about the first mover disadvantage. And, you know, what Universal is betting on, essentially, um, is that they are going to do it right. Mm -hmm. And, And if we assume that Disney could have opened earlier than they are, which I suspect they probably could have, maybe not day, you know, day and date with Universal, but but maybe earlier than the date that they said. Uh, I think they're going to learn a lot from what Universal does. They're going to see what they yeah. do right. They're going to see what they do wrong. And that's probably going to be an advantage for them. And if, you know, if the proverbial shit hits the fan, um, this is enough time for the world to see if there's a spike in cases on account of uh, people going to Universal, which would give Disney the opportunity to essentially tap out of doing it all together. Right. So um, there's definitely a risk, I think, of being the first mover here. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that what you said is exactly right. I I think it probably is pretty close, but in terms of what, you know, what the opportunity cost is is sort of complicated to analyze, I think, because there are people I think, and Ben was one of them, who have trips planned to Florida for this time period. Mm-hmm. And the question becomes, what are they going to do in Florida? Um, some of them may very well be, and, and this could be tens of thousands of people, you know, worth tens of millions of dollars in revenue, ultimately. Um, you know, some of them might have intended to go to Disney World during that time period, and they're now going to go to Universal because that's the only option. So even if it isn't necessarily you know, a loss for Disney above and beyond, you know, it, it, I I know exactly what you're saying and and you're right. The fact that Universal's open is sort of irrelevant to Disney, right? Because they're going to earn money when they're open, they're not when they're closed. But what about long-term? But but I also think the question is, it's not the same for Universal though, because if Universal, let's assume that they had some inside knowledge of when Disney's reopening plan was going to be, if they decided to accelerate their plans in order to give themselves 
uh, essentially a monopoly on large theme park offerings in Central Florida, then they could essentially have a windfall during that time period. And maybe, maybe yeah. that's the strategy. Because, yeah, if you look at it, and why didn't Disney open with them? Maybe the question was, why did Universal accelerate what their plan might have been? That's that's also possible. And something to consider here, not that it really matters, but we may see on the um, TIA numbers uh, next year that Universal actually passes several Disney parks in attendance for that the would first be time ever. That's and a great point. There's an obvious reason for it, but it would Doesn't certainly matter. be interesting. And the by them being open for an additional month, it might be a situation where people that were hardcore Disney fans were so desperate to go to a theme park and not to say that Universal is like the desperate man's theme park, but they may give Universal a try that they wouldn't otherwise have done. And that might create new Universal fans for all we know. I mean, we're trying to predict the future in what is the murkiest of timelines that we've seen. So uh, how this all shakes out really remains to be seen. Um, but, I mean, we can speculate all we want. That's what we do on the show. Uh, I, I do think, though, that the staffing for Disney is a primary motivator for why they are unable to open in June. Um, Which might be worth bringing up the World Showcase point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, with with World Showcase, one of the things we had, and this is Brian's next question, is would a better idea have been to just leave Epcot closed to fix all the projects, at least until food and wine? Could you have done this and opened earlier if you didn't open Epcot? Um, the staffing required for that, perhaps uh, shutting down some of the uh, hotels as well, um, may may have forced their hand. Um, and knowing that the front half of Epcot especially is in a state of disrepair, that we talked about it on the show, and I think I threw a few things out on Twitter as well. That I think for Epcot, it would have made sense for them to hold off until at least August, I where agree. they could potentially have opened Remy's Ratatouille Adventure and kick off Food and Wine at around the same time. And so you have a true draw going to the park that would hopefully be in a better state than when it closed. In and March. they could have reopened a park that was you know, sort of spectacular to walk into instead of yeah. a, a mess of construction walls. And I, I don't, and this is where really an unknown, we're going to get the answer to this one relatively quickly, but I suspect that the demand and aggregate for theme park offerings is going to be pretty substantially lower than it was before all this. So, mm-hmm. you know, do they really need Epcot in order to satisfy all of the people that want to enjoy a Disney offering? I, I suspect not. And that was honestly, what we were citing last, last episode where we were saying that just that you're not going to get a lot of people that are want that are going to want to travel there. So, right, and a, some of them are going to be you know, toe in the water. Some of them are going to be you hanging know, out though. with Derek at Universal because they've been yeah. converted during the uh, you know Universal's <laughs> lead time. You remember how long I, it I, took to build Seven Dwarfs Mine Train? Oh, because it was right in the middle of an operating park. You know, that's yeah. just a, it's a massive constraint on doing effective construction, and that's what Epcot's got. It's at the entrance. It's honestly probably at a worse place in the park than uh, Seven Dwarfs was. And they really have this opportunity. I mean, and they're smart people at that company. I know they. it's not like they didn't think about this, but they obviously made a decision based on some guidance or some metrics or something. But it's hard for me from the outside to imagine what in the hell that possibly could have been. So, so ben, this I know is you want to talk, make... but we got a question from a uh, uh, name <laughs> redacted. Ben. Why don't you guys let Ben talk more? He's obviously the star <laughs> of the show. That's from Ben. That's, that's <laughs> the best question on the Facebook page, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh this is all starting to make a little more sense to me, though, to be honest, as we talk this out. You know, the 
as somebody who had a trip booked for July 15th, uh, we, we canceled everything a little bit before Disney made the announcement of what their plans were. Uh, and we did that in anticipation that we kind of felt we knew what was going to come along. And, on, mm-hmm. and the thing that the thing that we thought was going to be that not all the parks would be open. And so that that played the biggest factor because it, it, this is our family trip. This is this isn't just with me, at least and the girls. This is my parents and my sisters and their families. They go once every three years. It's not like us who go too many times and could you know, tolerate a park or two not being open if we wanted to. But for them, they're not going to get the full experience if if Epcot's not open during during that planned trip. So we decided at that point we were going to cancel and put it off till next summer. Then Disney announces their plans. And honestly, I, I, I do think one thing that they haven't announced with any of this stuff is like, Hey, there, there's there's going to be reduced hours. There's going to be reduced capacity. They haven't gone. Oh, there's reduced pricing as well. Right, everything's staying not. the same price. And so you can't have only two of four parks open or three or four parks open and still be charging the same full price. Also, the the knowing there's only going to be 30 percent capacity for any of the parks when they first open, you can't have another park offline and still expect to get a good number of people through. Otherwise, pe- a lot more people are going to do like I'm doing and canceling their trips, and that just puts them in a spot of more money being lost, and uh, it puts them in a in a no win situation for them. So I I'm starting to see the the reasoning for opening the Epcot, especially as as quickly as they can is because they, they need that limited capacity to justify having everything back up and running. Otherwise, uh, the, 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 we've always talked about the, the, you know, the, the, the dollar value, is it worth it? That, that starts coming into play a lot more based on the other stuff that's already getting caught, uh, cut off. Are they changing you, pr- park hopper prices during this time? So that, that's a question because the, uh, as far as I know, they have not reopened ticket sales yet. They, oh, right. in addition to canceling everything, they've suspended ticket sales as well. It is not unreasonable to see them cut prices. We said last episode that we didn't think it would happen, that they would discount, but they would not, they would keep the base price the same. Um, right. I think they can use this and, and use the, the crisis as a means of changing the structure. I think. We've addressed it on the show. There are dozens of different answers to how much does a 10-day ticket cost at Disney World right now. And if they change their ticket pricing structure again, I mean, they did it fairly recently, they can use this as an opportunity to do that and do it without saying we are cutting our actual uh, admission price. They can say that we're, we're – they use whatever politically correct version of – uh, slashing prices. Yeah, I think that I, is reasonable. Here, here, and and that, is, kind of the, that is important for a lot of reasons, too. Yeah. Here's kind of the bummer on that, though. They didn't come out with that from the get-go, which means they are they are waiting to see how many people book. Yeah. And they're they're waiting to see how many book at full price mm-hmm. and full ask. Yep. And then at that point when they go, oh, crap, nobody's booking, that's when they'll put it out there. This, it kind of sucks because this would be a great time to like a, a welcome back offer and do it for six months and and roll back pricing, do something just to bring people back in, to bring the goodwill of the parks back up because they haven't had all good publicity through this entire uh, pandemic either it, it, with uh, with some of the stuff, with, again, with the cast members and things like that. So this would have been a great time right from the get-go. Hey, we're back. 
July 11th. We're back at this rate. We're, we want you back, and we're going to try to make it as easy as possible to get you back for a said period of time, uh, knowing that your experiences are not going to be perfect in those parks, as, as you're really the guinea pigs. Uh, this, this is a com- another conversation I had with somebody over the Universal opening and the, the cast previews they were doing and this and that, and, and you know those two, three days, you're, you're guinea pigs, and I, I'm sure Disney will do the same thing for probably a week in advance of getting cast members in there and trying to test everything out. But it's going to be months for them to figure out the best and most efficient way to put people through those parks and, and for allow people to get the most out of their experience. So why not just do it from the get go and kind of realize that's what it's going to be right off the bat and and do do a special offer, do something to uh put you in a in a positive mindset with the fan base right from the get go as opposing to waiting it out and, and seeing if they have to do that. Since they introduced the Magic Your Way tickets, I think 15 or so years ago, they've had a pretty good idea of the supply. We're going to go into economics now, guys, for those paying attention at home. Uh, oh, the God. Supp- very basic economics of the supply and demand uh, of of their ticket price and have, have jumped up the price accordingly and really haven't seen a drop off in attendance. Uh, with an obvious blip following 2008, the good thing, or the, the the difference between the 2008 drop off, though, is that the supply never changed. Uh, yes, they right. might have taken some hotel rooms offline, but in this case, the actual theme park attendance supply availability is changing, and they it, it certainly remains unknown uh, what will be available versus uh, what the demand will be. It is entirely possible that demand far exceeds supply here, and then there's no reason for them to. Uh, to drop the ticket price. Exactly. But- and if you look at if you look at their objective, Disney's objective really is to generate revenue. Yep. Right? It's not necessarily to pack the most guests into the park ever. And now more than ever with this COVID thing, what they really want to do is generate the maximum amount of revenue with the smallest number of guests, which right. requires a very high per guest price. So and we've sort of flirted with this discussion several times because every time Disney, you know, racks, uh, you know, uh, cranks the price up, we always expect based on that, you know, basic discussion of economics that Tim just mentioned, we expect that as the price goes up, that the number of people that are willing to pay that is going to go down. But there seems right. to be, here's another economic term for you. There seems to be an enormous amount of price elasticity here because no matter how high the price goes, it seems like the same people or more keep showing up. And there is a finite amount of capacity that these parks have to offer, even in the best of times before the whole COVID pandemic. So now what Disney's really got to do, unfortunately, and, and there's going to be people that blame the company and cite corporate greed and all those sorts of things for this. But the fact of the matter is they are a business. They have a fiduciary obligation to their shareholders to maximize return. They're going to still continue to try and make the most money that they can. And the reality of it is as sad as it is and as unfair as it is, the extremely affluent guests are much more useful to Disney now than <laughs> poor people because these people, the amount of money they spend per day is much higher than the locals. I wouldn't be surprised at all if annual passes go away as a result of this because what this, what this company's got to do is they've got this finite amount of capacity. They want to fill it with people who are going to spend the most money. And that's not your AP holders. Unfortunately, it's not your you know middle class American family. It is for affluent foreign visitors. It's wealthy people in America who are going on long vacations with their big families, spending tons of money. And the fact is, the you can think what you want, and you can 
morally you might be right if you say that it, that, that sucks, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but the fact is that is who the company is going to have to cater to if they want to continue to keep Wall Street happy um, because the world has just been transformed almost overnight. So Disney has priced themselves as a premium product. They've They've already set that precedent and it's entirely possible we were worried about them pricing people out and we looked at various arbitrary barriers whether it was a hundred dollars or not um they may have already done that and as such may have set it up in such a way where price is not the factor here and now our normal supply demand uh, uh chart may have a third variable in it and that's fear and yes it's linked to uh, uh to demand but um the basic uh, uh, principle here of the cost being the dictator is now not the only thing that's true. Yep. And people are going to return here not because necessarily of cost, but because of fear of whether or not they're going to be safe. And perhaps that is also a motivating factor. And we, we again, didn't even dance around it. We addressed it head on that universal opening a month ahead of time will allow Disney to better assess that. Agreed. So I think that all of this uh, – is going to play in. All of it is going to be interesting. Um, but I, as, and this plays into the fear aspect of it more, it plays into the inconvenience aspect of it. I have no motivation to go until the fall. I think yeah, that I is, that's for me what my mindset is and comfort of, you know, Florida in July and August and September. But um, we got a, we got a bunch of other questions and we're already an hour and 20 minutes into the show. Um, a lot of these do dance around it. Uh, we do need to hit this one, though, from Gary. Uh, what shortstop holds the Major League record for games played, assists, and double plays? Uh, it's two different people. Omar Vizquel, uh, games played and double plays, and Ozzie Smith for assists. Just imagine. Uh, you could take those parts of your brain that memorize that and learn something useful. I had to look useful. that up. I, would, I probably would have guessed both of those guys as being on the list, but I, w- I had to look it up to finish. That's good. I actually consider that to be a compliment. <laughs> Uh, All right. This one comes from Brian Dancer. Um, That's his name and his job description. How far back? (laughs) His middle name is erotic. (laughs) Well, the financial (laughs) calamity he can work with, uh, Bruce. What was the the question? Sorry. (laughs) We didn't get to it yet. We're just making fun of his name. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Brian. If you don't want us to make fun of your name, you got to commend the show first before your question. Um, (laughs) How far back will this financial calamity for Disney put them when it comes to maintaining and upgrading the theme parks and resorts? Uh, I'd be surprised if there's a parks and resorts panel in the 2021 D23 Expo. I think that's uh, a very yeah. uh, safe bet. I but. mean, co- this company doesn't invest in the parks because it wants to. It invests in the parks because it thinks it needs to. And that dynamic has totally changed. So we know coming up is the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World, October 1st of 2021. I think the initial internal plan was to effectively kick that off in January of 2021, and that probably won't happen. So some of the announced projects will likely be pushed back at the very least by four months because that's the delay for the parks. Um, but perhaps other things that may have been planned, say there was a new parade or a new fireworks show. I don't know if there was, uh, those types of things might be canceled. So I'll throw, then- I'll throw a wild card in here that, that mm-hmm. speaks to this question. Let's say top brass at universal says, this is our chance to go for the jugular. Mm-hmm. We know Disney's culture. We know that they're going to try and rest on their laurels. So we are going to make massive capital investments in our park and we're going to try and lure away 
you know, the Disney loyalists by being the true innovators in this field for the next five years. They're already well positioned to do it. They're, they're building very a third well, park. They're building a well, third they, gate. Yeah. And if they do it, that will, I'm very reluctant to say this word because I don't really mean it this way. It will, it will I'm going to reword. It will put pressure on Disney to continue mm-hmm. to evolve the parks or at least to follow through with the announcements that they've already made. That to me is the wild card. I think that the strongest force that is going to uh, cause Disney to do what it has already promised is going to be universal. So uh, yeah, that's fair. I mean, that, that, that's what I'm hoping Univers- for. Epic universe is technically on hold though, right? I mean, that was a lot. That was the last shareholder calls and they, and they, the buddy Dwyer, whoever the hell talks yeah. to you on the uh, tram at the airport. Uh, <laughs> they, they evidently Orlando said that they've been informed it'd be off by a year. But uh, on the on one of the last shareholder calls, the the talk was that Epic Universe they have stopped construction, which kind of goes against what you said there a little bit, Josh. It'd be it would be nice for them to stay aggressive and 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 just use this as a small hiccup, but still put that money in there and and get that park open as soon as possible. But it, that does technically look like that's not what they're doing at the moment. I think you announced that it's on hold now, and then you can you can bump it up, but. I mean, there everybody is is in an unknown area. I mean, yes, yeah. Comcast, both Disney and Comcast, all things considered, are in relatively good shape compared to some other companies. They're all sure. hurting, but Comcast is an internet service provider. Disney has other sources of revenue beyond uh, theme parks and movies, so they have they're they're strong enough companies where they can survive it. But it doesn't mean they need to be reckless either. And if it means that you know putting $2 billion into a theme park has to wait another year or two, then so be it. The unfortunate thing for us as fans is that the theme park wars were really heating up in central Florida and we were getting great attractions. I mean, last summer into a uh, uh, winter with, um, with Hagrid's and then uh, uh, Star Wars galaxy's edge, you were just getting monster Jimmy attraction Fallon. after monster attraction. Sorry. What did you say? Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Fallon as well. <laughs> um, but you're you're getting you know fast and furious major attraction after major attraction. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> alien swirling saucers as well. Uh, killing it. But but you know you know what I mean. Like they they were there's a lot being built, and at one point Disney had eight rides under construction simultaneously, and that hasn't happened when they weren't building a new All- theme park. Right. All inside the guard, all inside the Guardians building. <laughs> yes, actually, you know what? That I say that that probably hasn't happened where they were building eight rides simultaneously since they were building Epcot in stateside, uh, maybe California Adventure as well, but certainly not in Florida. So there was a lot of building going on. There's still uh, projects that are in development. Universal has their uh, Velocicoaster. Uh, Disney obviously has the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy building, which Ben just uh, broke the news that there's eight rides going in there. Um, <laughs> Ratatouille is set to open yeah. soon. Tron as well. <laughs> um, so there's still a lot of stuff being built, but I think you're correct in saying that Universal may be what pushes this and not necessarily the financial constraints because Disney can just be smarter with their money and they may very well use this to you know, do a hatchet job to Imagineering and shrink it down to the size of Universal Creative. I mean, even if it's, you know, a hundred times the size of Universal Creative, it's still and, probably And that would be really tragic 10%. because talent talent is a very slow thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, that's one of the biggest consequences for companies when they downsize is the, you know, the brain drain because the money can come back quickly, but the talent doesn't. It takes sometimes 
decades to build a core of competent people. And if in the <laughs> meantime, Disney loses the, the prima matur of being the place that the most talented, uh, creative people want to go, that could be permanent. Yeah. You know, imagine yeah. if, I mean, just think for a minute, imagine a world where the best and brightest artists and engineers, where their dream job was universal and not Disney. You know, the, the long tail consequences of that could be pretty freaking dramatic. It's entirely possible that, I mean, it, it certainly exists. I'm sure that there are people that, uh, that do have that. But um, as the shift has moved to movie-based IP attractions, there is certainly going to be people that are uh, bigger fans of, you said, Fast and the Furious, of the Jurassic Park movies, of uh, Harry Potter movies, things and properties that Universal owns relative to, uh, to Disney. It's entirely possible, but the preeminent creative enterprise has always been Imagineering and that very well may shift if they, if they cut it. But um, we have some more forecasting questions coming up. We got two kind of related ones, one from Matt Kaufman. Uh, will we see a reservation only annual pass like at Disneyland? And then Dan Cameron, how long will the AP exp- extension be? Will they tack on the extra days for the reservation period? Platinum pass holders paid for unlimited park hopping access, etc. Uh, ben, do you have an active AP right now? I don't. I was going to, uh, the next time I go, I have to buy one. Okay. So I am very much in this, uh, this little bubble right now trying to figure out, will I, uh, I, I need a lot more information on what, ex- <laughs> yes. what kind of, uh, accessibility I'll have with buying a, an annual pass. And they jacked up uh, the price for out of Florida resident or non Florida residents. Well, in February. I, <clears throat> I don't know if you know this or not, but <laughs> you're talking to a DVC. Member that's true. Here. That's true. You get that. But, uh, so yeah, I get the DVC, uh, Pass, which I think was the gold pass last year, it, ch- it changes all the time what they what they give us uh, access to. Uh, but you know, if if it were up to Josh, if I had a gold pass, I'd get to go to the parks one day every three months. <laughs> um, so yeah, I need a little more information on what we're going to do because we we do buy a, pa- a season pass every other year and get two trips out of it for the summers. So uh, don't know, and, and honestly, that does play part into why we be looking at going to Disneyland in the fall as opposed to going to Disney World because I don't think we'll have any of those answers uh, anytime soon. I Do you normally renew your pass or do you kind of stagger your trips in such a way where you can deliberately we get stagger. Few, yeah, same, same here. Yeah, so, so yeah, if we go in July of this year, we are, we'll go June okay, next summer. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, to, to the questions at hand, though, will we see a reservation-only annual pass like at Disneyland? I think that is a possibility uh, for Florida residents only. I'd love to see something yeah. like that for non-Florida residents, uh, personally, selfishly, but I think that is uh, tiers of annual passes are a possibility, but Josh also suggested that they eliminate annual passes entirely. That's that's a possibility as well. Um, I don't I don't hey, know if, how they if, do it, but if they go reservation only for uh, Florida local APs, mm-hmm. some other people might get a chance to ride uh, Rise of the Resistance. <laughs> yes, very true, very true. Um, <laughs> the other the other question from Dan uh, Cameron was how long will the AP extension be? So. At the very least, it's going to be the four months that the parks are closed. Um, But there's precedent. And I think – I don't know if Disney has done it. I'm fairly certain Universal has done it where they've done like 15 months for the price of 12. And uh, the market will dictate it. If they're filling the parks when they've got the reduced capacity, they're probably not going to feel obligated to do this. Um, But I would expect at least one additional month on top of that four-month 
window. Um, anything less than that, I think, would be a mistake. But I could see them tacking on, you know, a six month, uh, six month swing to your annual pass. Yep. Um, and especially if attendance is low. Yeah, and beyond that, you very well may be able to complain your way into some sort of alternative uh, circumstance. But Gary will. <laughs> I, I would say four months absolute minimum. Anything less than six months would be a mistake, and I could see it being seven or eight months. But, um, again, speculating here, but speculating based on logic. So uh, yeah. it's kind of where we fall in here. I, I think if, if I had a my radar for things that are going to be impacted in the very long term by this, I think what an AP means is on that list for sure. Probably. Probably. I mean, that's that could be an entire entire show itself like what the future of annual passes might be i i really don't know i just think that assuming that they keep something relatively consistent to what they've done prior to the pandemic that you keep those in place and if you add six months that seems to appease most of the people uh that would be affected by it so uh next question from david thacker how long before the masks at Walt Disney World are not mandatory? I think the social distancing is getting a test of the protests going on. <laughs> I've been in a lot of restaurants in the business I'm in. We're going to talk about this, uh, uh, these, these protests that are going on right now. That's really right up our alley for our show. Yeah. Uh, By the way, if, ma- if, if you're using a Molotov cocktail, it's not a protest. Probably same. not. Um, these masks and gloves aren't being used properly anyway, so why even? Uh, my opinion is uh, you're scared of getting it or you have to stay home if you want to wear a mask, uh, but mandatory is ridiculous to me. Yeah, so, I agree. Hey, uh, t- Tim, Tim, write down the time code right now. No, I'm not going to do it. This is, the, this is the point where you're going to have to come back and edit, Josh. Nope. <laughs> I, all I'm going to say, I agree with everything that David said. If you're afraid of contracting a virus by going to mm-hmm. a theme park, the course of action that you should follow is not to go. I think that's very, very reasonable. And while that is one of my own personal motivators for not for, for likely not going into the fall, <laughs> temperature is another big motivator. And having to wear a mask where even, you know, going to the store or going to, uh, yeah. you know, the... the there's the there's dump, about a 0.2% you know? of catching coronavirus, but there's a 100% chance of sweating your balls off. <laughs> yes, yes. I think you might be wearing the mask wrong, Josh, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> goes over the taint right <laughs> so i mean the way to, to his question though do you think disney mandates it until i would say they would mandate it as long as cdc recommends it yeah but yeah would so they disney is not looking to pave any medical ground exactly here. exactly they're gonna they're gonna require it until they have plausible deniability as to not to yep. exactly exactly yep. um so the question the better question is when does the cdc back off on that and that very well may be and this is us speculating on things we know nothing about uh until there's a vaccine um or until they somehow determine that herd immunity is in such a way that uh, i think that's or yeah. or, or tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> the way this has been going. <laughs> I mean, one of the problems with statistics is that they, they lie to you very persuasively. So when you're testing a very small part of the population, which consists almost entirely of people who are sick, you, you get a skewed result. So, mm-hmm. you know, in a year when tests become more prolific, um, you know, we'll have a better idea of what the actual infection rate is and what the actual mortality rate is. I think then we'll have more context to understand what this disease actually means for mankind. And, you know, that might certainly shift what the CDC um, does. So I think I do think that there's a possibility 
uh, of this sort of, I'm not going to say go away, but it could become one of the many myriad of health risks that we all face by virtue of being alive still, mm-hmm. um, you know, that is not the one predominant thing that the world's reacting to. And that might very well result in that requirement going away. But um, I would say that we're probably, if I had to guess, I'd say a year at a minimum. Yeah. I mean, we're a few months away from, or a few months removed from somebody telling me that I was going to be wearing a face mask to the grocery store and me thinking they're crazy. And now that is what is the new normal now and probably something that I will accept at least through the end of the year in all likelihood uh, at, at minimum. So, I, I mean, mean this, this is purely anecdotal, but the grocery store that I shop at um, went from, you know, normal to mm-hmm. me walking one day and saying, from here on out, we're going to ask that you wear a mask. They didn't say require. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a mask and I wore it to the grocery store and for a good month, everyone I saw in the grocery store had a mask on. Mm-hmm. I went there today and I would say it was about 40% of the people had a mask on. So interesting. this is, you know, one of the problems you get when you claim that the sky is falling, that if you, a certain amount of time passes and the sky doesn't fall, people assume that the threat is totally yeah, gone, which is a logical fallacy. You know, <laughs> the fact that you haven't gotten coronavirus yet doesn't mean that it, that the coronavirus does not exist. Um, but at the same time, I think that the percentage of people that are that are going, I don't want to say overboard because that's sort of loaded, but the people that are going to the max in terms of precautions is going down, not up. So if the number of cases continues to decline, my, my expectation is that a smaller and smaller number of people are going to feel that it's necessary to wear gloves and masks, you know, when they're driving in the middle of the country with their windows up. Um, but you know, this is going to be, in my opinion, as I've mentioned before, this is going to be the biggest problem at these parks is that everybody who walks into that park has their own idea as to what constitutes responsible, safe behavior. And when they encounter someone else who has a different view as to what that means, that is just, it's a emotional, political, loaded thing that is going to cause tremendous and sometimes violent responses in people. And regardless of whether or not people going to the park get infected and have massive medical consequences on account of Corona, I'm a hundred percent sure that there's going to be tremendous behavioral problems. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and that would be, if I were a frontline manager at Disney, that would be of equal concern of any medical fallout to me, because that is going to be, you know, the thing is, if you go to the park tomorrow or, you know, on the 11th when they open, whatever, and you contract the disease that will be a news story for sure, but yep. it's going to be in text. But if you go to the parks on the 11th and you get punched out because you aren't wearing your ma- mask right, that's not in text. That's going to be a video that's going to go viral instantly. So yep. that is a you know uh, you know immediate threat to Disney in terms of the news cycle. So uh, I'm trust me on the 11th I will have Orville Redenbacher by my side and we will be <laughs> monitoring social media very closely as long I, as he's sitting six feet away from you we might actually <laughs> we should just do a live show on that day and just do, do a 24 hour <laughs> marathon just covering that shit because it's going to be fascinating to say the least so Josh uh, wears a mat Josh wears a mask at the grocery store what a pull <laughs> The uh, accountant in me uh, is not, unfortunately, <laughs> going to be able to watch along with the masses on July 11th and July 15th because I have no idea what the hell to expect for the modified tax season that I'm oh, about yeah. to face. But um, for I want the first time in like five years, I actually filed early. <laughs> 
Right. And then they delay the deadline. Like, motherfucker. <laughs> I, want to, uh, I want to challenge our listeners to uh, c- go through this thought exercise. If you have Facebook or whatever your social media of preference is, uh, go through it and see how many people uh, you know uh, or know of people that have coronavirus versus how many people claim to be constitutional lawyers and can kind of make the argument about wearing masks because you're probably seeing both of those things in your Facebook timeline right now that you're saying, you know, thoughts and prayers for so-and-so versus I'm not wearing a mask. It is against my constitutional rights and seeing which ones happen more often on your Facebook timeline. And it might be demographically uh, biased based on where you're located. But uh, I think that is, I don't know about you guys. It's what I'm seeing on my Facebook feeds right now. The the, the disparity between those two. Tim is baiting me here. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Um, You actually don't have to be a constitutional lawyer to enjoy having constitutional rights. So I will just point that that out. That's fair, but you also uh, don't have to have (laughs) you don't have to have the coronavirus to appreciate not having the coronavirus. So (laughs) that's there too. I'd like to think that I'm closer to being a constitutional lawyer than I am to being infected with coronavirus. To actually answer your question, yeah, I don't know. I you know this is one of those things that it's an unfortunate time period for all of mankind and. Mm Uh, on paper, you'd like to think that something like this is a shared experience that brings us all together. But we're not but, allowed to hold hands. Well, but then you <laughs> damn it. Or lick each other. It doesn't seem to be a problem, though. You know, it seems like no matter what happens, all it does is create more divisiveness. So yeah. it's a bummer, but it's just the way it is. All right, let's uh, hit some more uh, some more questions about this. Uh, does FastPass Plus ever return in its current form? Um, we talked about not. it a little bit. We hope not. It wouldn't surprise me if it does. I hope it doesn't. I think this is an opportunity to eliminate it. Um, but yeah, I, I hope not. That's the, uh, the best way. Um, Dan, that was from Michael Deej. Uh, Dan Heaton asks, what are the odds that the following will still happen? I know uh, that guy. He does a show that he never invites me on. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Refle- Two out of three ain't bad. Reflections <laughs> Resort. Uh, I've been on like three or four times, Josh, so that counts for you. Uh, Reflections Resort. That's sp- infinity percent more than me. <laughs> <laughs> Spaceship Earth to be, update. To be fair, he's not the only guy that hasn't asked you to be on That's podcast. true. <laughs> <laughs> the only guy that let me be on was Tom Corliss. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Dan. Uh, what are the odds of following still happening? That was by accident. <laughs> he thought he was getting Due to trickery. <laughs> he thought he was getting Wakefield. Uh, Reflections Resort, Spaceship Earth Update, or Moana Journey of Water. Hmm. Uh, which of these guys, what do you think is, why don't we put them in order of most likely to uh, least likely? Hey, everyone. Tim here. When we recorded this, word had not yet leaked that Spaceship Earth would reopen with Epcot on July 15th, so this conversation didn't age particularly well. Anecdotally, it it's based on how much sunk cost there is in each of <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, unfortunately. See, the problem with I, the Spaceship Earth update is that, and I think a lot of people don't think about this, is that a lot of the, the changes when you're doing an overhaul like that, they're happening, you know... Uh, you know, in a factory somewhere or, mm-hmm. you know, in a, you know, there are components that are built, animatronics are being built, um, soundtracks that are being recorded. So there's a lot of things that happen off site. So you can't necessarily walk to that place in the park and look at it and say, well, there's no construction walls up. So they sure. must not have spent a bunch of money on it. And as an outsider, I don't have any data really as to where they have spent that money. Um, 
So, I mean, I don't really have a great answer to that other than to say that I think there's, there's a threshold beyond which they're not going to want to throw that away. So they'll finish it. There's probably also a threshold at which they'll shelve it and say, we're not going to do it right now, but we're going to come back to it. And there's probably a lower threshold at which they just say, we're going to scrap this. Yeah, um, yeah. Where each of those are, I wish I knew. Well, I will say back on April 13th, your best friend, Tom Corliss, his website, uh, did put out a news article that Reflections is one of the projects where construction had continued during okay. during the shutdown. So I'm going to say Reflections is definitely happening. I, okay. I'm with you there. I think that... Any anything that is a direct money maker, and this is this is a DVC resort, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So anything, I mean, the other the other factor here is that Disney intentionally uh, has a new DVC resort opening every few years, so that it is that steady money stream into the uh, DVC property. And these uh, contracts are what? What are they? Fifty years, Ben? Uh, Forty nine. Okay. Uh, where basically that they're supposed to be continually renewing and be a, 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 a source of revenue for the company uh, in perpetuity, basically. And if you've got new, uh, contracts expiring every three years, probably beginning about 25 years from now, then you need to continue to build them as part of the uh, the project. So I think that um, the Reflections, a Disney Lakeside Lodge slash retirement home, uh, is... <laughs> Is very likely to to happen, and I also yeah, think I it's fur- it's farthest along. Yeah, um, I think that yeah. you could probably pretty much put that one in the for sure category. I think. Uh, the, and there were also the reports the other day, and I'm trying to update my Disney World app quick enough to pull this up. But there were some uh, screen grabs that were shared across Twitter of Spaceship Earth being referenced as uh, down for refurbishment. Yeah, that's or, true. So. Yeah, I, I'm going Reflections and Spaceship Earth and then Moana with the chance uh, of least likely being made because, again, all they've done is cleared the land. I don't think they've they done anything done to... Yeah, there's a building yeah, okay. there. So, so, I, so uh, they cleared the other Interventions building on that side, but not yeah. the one where Moana's going. I have a reason to hope that that happens. I can't tell you what it is, but I, uh, but I do. Um, the Spaceship Earth one scares me the most because that, to me, is a sort of a sacred thing. Mm-hmm. And... I, my concern, and it's it's natural human nature to be sort of binary in our thinking that is it going to happen or is it not going to happen. My concern with Spaceship Earth, first of all, when when they announced that idea with the whole storytelling and the ball of light thing, that didn't really appeal to me anyway. So when I start thinking about what that might look like on a reduced budget, I get really scared. Yeah. Um, you know, the last couple of times that they've gone in and monkeyed with Spaceship Earth, the results have not been great from from my perspective. Um, so I, I worry about that. I would rather see spaceship earth be left alone than be half-assed because, and this goes back to an earlier question. Once they make these changes, we don't get them back. There, there's no control Z in Imagineering. <laughs> they, they don't undo things. So I would really rather have a solid, strong idea implemented well later than a, you know, messed up, poorly executed idea uh, with even worse implementation put in there now. And I mean, if anyone's is hearing me and not thinking that I'm right, go write imagination. And if you still aren't <laughs> convinced, go take the YouTube ride of imagination of the previous version. Um, you know, they've really can damage these attractions very, very easily and fixing them. I don't think there's any, well, except for maybe, uh, the mermaid ride. There's not many examples I see of these things getting better with an alteration. And that was a minor alteration as well for. But it made a big difference. Just turning the light, 
pro tip when you're making a dark ride and it's yeah. really bright that's bad um to, to the spaceship earth update i could see it being scaled down i could see it being canceled entirely uh to ben's point about it showing up on the website as closed that went into effect when it was scheduled to be closed on uh, on may 26th it's entirely possible that the person that is in charge of updating the refurbishment schedule on, the database on DisneyWorld.com the, yeah. com just yeah. didn't sure. do it that's yeah. entirely sure. possible um, i agree and it's of the things that Disney's worrying about right now, whether or not Spaceship Earth reflects a refurbishment, probably low on the totem pole for uh, for things to worry about. But having said that, a company like Disney that controls the message as often as they do, you would think that something like that would get changed. And they have somebody internally in the company that knows how to go in and update the, uh, the WordPress entry for Spaceship Earth that it's not currently closed. So yeah. although it's closed, but for different reasons. So, I mean... I, I would expect Spaceship Earth to not open up when Epcot opens up July 15th. I am expecting it to undergo a refurbishment, which is which was what was scheduled. I would be surprised if the refurbishment is the same as what was announced. I think it's going to be a smaller scale refurbishment, and uh, it might have it might have parts of what was announced, but this sounded like it was going to be a more substantial overhaul. And if they're trying to cut money. This is a spot to do it because the ride, well, it certainly had its flawed components to it from a guest satisfaction standpoint, for the most part, was not broken. So they can go in and if there was necessary maintenance that was going to be doing and that's going to be done in this, they could just be doing that for all we know. Um, as for the Moana uh, walkthrough thing, that seems to be a very likely candidate to be cut. Because the building that that was going to replace is still standing, and I, I'm guessing most of what was in the uh, journey of water is rock work and water pumps, things that probably didn't necessarily need to be prefabricated and specialized. It was probably a lot of off-the-shelf yeah. stuff they could just buy. Um, and Disney puts... Uh, uh, water fountains and a lot of things. And I, I don't know what specialty component of Journey of Water and what unique aspects were going to be in it, but this is something that would be very easy to be cut. I don't know that anybody was booking their vacation around this when it was going to open. Um, it just seems like this is something that can uh, certainly be delayed, possibly be cut. So I guess my question there, and I'm not arguing with you, but what do they do with the building that's on the current site? Because there is sort of a overarching aesthetic for the entrance and that's not quite in the entrance but it's not far off mm -hmm. you know I, I wonder because if you, if you say that they're not going to pursue that do they leave the building there like how far what is the trickle down effect of not completing that attraction what are they going to put their grass there's um, a handful of things they could they could leave it they could knock it down and put a uh, put a less substantial thing there. It was intended to be a walking path, effectively. It's pronounced to the a pin seas. kiosk. Uh, yes. I mean, they could put a pin kiosk there. We lost one of those, and those are valuable. We lost. Um, <laughs> These words have meanings. <laughs> <laughs> um, they they could just put planters there. Honestly, like they could they could continue the uh, the landscaping that's going to be between the entrance and Spaceship Earth and just continue that up the right side over to the more uh, Disney nature side. You, you plant some trees, you put a few flower beds in, and that's more affordable than a rock work themed uh, Moana walking experience. 
So there's a multitude of different things that they could do. But let's say that that Moana thing was a $50 million rockwork uh, water fountain uh, walkthrough. You can probably do something that costs 10% of that and still looks aesthetically nice, but isn't technically an attraction. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, probably right. But you anyway, buy a lot of sod for five million. <laughs> yes. Uh, moving forward, we're uh, approaching the two-hour mark here, so we'll see if we can uh, make this uh, one of our longer shows. Uh, Rob yes. Joyce asks, "What do you think of vegan offerings at Walt Disney World post COVID nineteen? <laughs> Wrong show. I'm just kidding. That was the old show. I'm glad none of you have a vegan girlfriend. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Uh, Ken Weatherford asks, "Chances did oh, wait, wait, wait. Let, we got to thank him for a great question. Yeah, that was <laughs> snarky, <fabulous>. irreverent." <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Did you have an answer, Ben? No. Okay. <laughs> beef stuffed with more beef. Try the uh, the ribs at Morimoto Asia. That's my recommendation. They're fantastic. <laughs> um, That's at Steak can- 451. That's the two. <laughs> <laughs> my steak is burned. Yes, it's 451. <laughs> That's the, name of our sh- that's the name of our show this week and our new sponsor. Steak is it possible that you're like adding in A1 as well? Steak A451? <laughs> steak A1451. <laughs> the worst possible steak there is. They only have Heinz 57. Yep. Uh, Kenneth Weatherford oh. asks, uh, chances Disney Springs gets looted. Anyone want to touch this one? Uh, nope. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I already had one political rant edited out of the show this week, this month. John Valenti, thoughts on upcoming festivals at Epcot, particularly food and wine. Doable. Can they cook and staff? Also, what is the earliest Disney will decide? Can they cook the staff? (laughs) That seems like it would be both a problem and a solution. We could have the uh, Trader Sam booth. (laughs) Based on how much money they make, yes, as soon as they possibly can have those back, they'll be back. I would be very surprised if food and wine does not happen this year. And I, I have... Yeah, I have reason to believe that there's going to be an enormous amount of uh, carts and kiosks and other yep. accoutrement to sell you everything yep. that they possibly can in Epcot. That is, uh, th- I think the primary reason that park is being reopened is because as the real estate to sell you lots of shit. Yep, yep. We, we've made the joke before that it seems like there's a festival at all times. There will be a festival at all times yep. moving forward. Well, one of our uh, suggestions was to reopen Just World Showcase as food and wine and not have any attractions open and not charge admission, but basically have an extension of Disney Springs where you're basically just running the festival aspect of it and keeping it as a giant strip mall. Hey, I, I love food and wine, and, and I hate that I can't go every year. And yeah. It, that's that's one fest. I don't mind if that were extended out. You you two might think differently, but uh, we love it when we get those chances to go in October and experience it. And th- that only happens once every few years. So shoot, let, they want to keep that open much that, longer. I'm okay. Let me tell you how that meeting went, Tim. Yep. Uh, I think we should open up Epcot for food and wine, but we <laughs> won't charge admission. And someone else said, that's a great idea. I have an even better idea. What if we do exactly that, but we do charge admission. <laughs> do charge High admission. High five. Yep. <laughs> Step two, profit. Very good. Very good. And that's how Josh DeMauro became president <laughs> of Walt Disney. Um, I was one last name away from being rich. <laughs> Ben's friend is, friends and family coming in. Uh, I agree. I only listen to hear Ben. Uh, that's bullshit. G- Thanks, Dad. <laughs> I'm going to bounce over to Twitter where the questions are generally in line with things that I don't understand, uh, but presumably are insulting to me. Like geometry? Yes. <laughs> uh, Fuck you, right angle. 
So, uh, fun fact, we were watching the episode of Saved by the Bell today when uh, Jesse Spano um, is on the caffeine pills. Time out. Yes, yes. So, so she's on the caffeine pills, and apparently what she was struggling uh-huh. with was a geometry test. So, anyway. Wow. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm, in love. So excited. I'm in love with a man, and his name is Pythagoras. <laughs> I'm so scared. <laughs> Tim, how does it feel to be in C tier while Ben and Josh are both chilling in S tier? Answer this on the show, not on Twitter. Wait, what? <laughs> if you don't, if you don't get that, Tim, then you just aren't tier worthy. So, uh, sorry. So I, I had to look this up. I guess uh, is S <laughs> tier uh, like superior tier? Is this like a Mortal Kombat reference, Ben? I like superior. That that works for me. Okay. What, yes. what does it actually stand for? I have no idea, okay. but I'll take it. It's it's above you. <laughs> Uh, so that's all that matters. Okay, good enough. Uh, <laughs> there, are, there are more replies here on Twitter if you care. All right. Uh, Kevin A. really knows how to get to the uh, the hand of this. This is Taco Man 945. Knows how to Love get to you. the hand of this? Is that a, uh, uh, is that uh, a thing? Uh, I'm not, it's two hours into the show. I don't know how to speak. <laughs> two hours in it is. Yep. <laughs> knows how to get us to answer his questions. Uh, Love you guys, as you know. Thanks for recording and making a long episode. Please, Jesus Christ, I can't speak. Uh, given all the news, masks in park, no fast pass, capacity dining and all, how long do you think this will last months, years, forever? Uh, we're looking until at least the end of the year, I'm thinking, for some level of this crap. Um, but yeah. I would say probably until there is a until there is a recommendation from the CDC that you don't need to social distance anymore, Disney will adhere to it. We said it earlier. Uh, they're not going to be – they're not going to start a revolution. They will do what is recommended. That makes yep. the most sense. Yep. Yep. Follow up from Taco Man. Holy, holy crap. Remember back when you used to put out for questions and we get one? Yeah, we got like 8,000 today. We must have like a billion downloads. This is amazing. <laughs> That's why I thank people. Uh, also, everyone on Disc Twitter seems hard, <laughs> hard on more for uh, Wait, Josh wait, to, back uh, up. All I heard was hard on. Yep. Yeah, just say that one more time. Also, everyone on Disc Twitter seems hard in more ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's better than the way that I said it. It's not. <laughs> for, for Josh D'Amaro, what is that exactly? We're going to pronounce his name six different ways, too. Uh, do you guys think this guy will make a positive impact on the parks? And if so, how? Again, thanks for taking the time and your days to record. You truly are my favorite podcast. I know that I'm hard for Josh. <laughs> he takes great pictures on Instagram, so he's great for you, me. You say that, and that's, I think, part of the reason that he is effectively – because he is on social media, he doesn't feel yep. like a corporate bigwig. He feels like one of us. That's a big so, deal. I don't, I don't know if either of you guys watched the SpaceX launch that took place on uh, Thursday slash Saturday. But, um, you know, a big part of the coverage was this. I'm guessing she was 18, 19 years old, but she's their social media person. Mm-hmm. And, and they dedicated a substantial amount of time to her. And it it just was a demonstration to me of no matter how, you know, potentially universe altering your business model is, social media matters. Right. Um, so, yeah. and, you know, we had a, a, a big part of our show tonight was about the fact that Chapek isn't good or at least isn't present socially. He's not there. He's not communicating with people. And, you know, this sort of uh, presence is gone from something that is nice to something that is absolutely expected. So I think if you're a young executive and you have that that presence, you're comfortable in front of the camera, you're, you're comfortable making posts that can, uh, you know, make you seem uh, approachable, uh, that's a big deal. And it, it, it isn't a replacement for making good decisions and, and being creative and any of that, but it is an important factor. So 
you know, I, I like to think that time will tell. I don't, I don't want to judge the guy without seeing anything that he's done. I, I would like to think that we will judge him based on the choices that he makes and the impact that he has on the parks. Um, but certainly one thing that we do know is that he is skilled in terms of using this, you know, uh, you know, social media and the Internet to communicate. Cast members love him. Um, he has not blocked me on social media, unlike uh, some certain former CEO. Uh, the, <laughs> I think the, the gist of it is though, that this seems to be a fan popular choice as well. And that, that hasn't happened. Um, if you go back to, uh, under Iger, the people that have had this position were Jay Rizzullo, Tom Staggs, Bob Chapek, and now, uh, Josh DiAmaro. Um, between Rizzullo and Frank Wells, who wasn't necessarily in this position, but kind of in that, like, all right, I'm going to be the official person. Uh, and run CEO duties while Michael Eisner is kind of the more creative side of things. I don't really know who was in charge there for the 10-year gap. It might have been Marty Sklar. Um, but you'd have to go back that far, at least probably 15 to 20 years, where there's somebody that fans and cast members and the executives seem to like, which I, I we could be wildly wrong here, but I think this is a step in the right direction, despite who uh, is still in charge of the company. So, um, I'm, I'm pleased, uh, but I mean, actions could, uh, could totally change that. So we'll see. Hey, Josh, can, can you write a letter to my boss, uh, and tell him that social media matters just so I can <laughs> keep my job? Absolutely. Thank you. I'll write it Thank on you. paper because that's the strongest <laughs> no, way to talk no, about no, the importance of no. social media. <laughs> I'll send him a smoke signal and a pigeon. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to acknowledge this question, but we've answered it. Uh, from the mouse and more, do you think FastPass Plus is gone forever, or do you think it's a temporary thing? Uh, we've addressed that earlier on in the show, but you obviously didn't know that when you asked the question. I still blame them. From McQueen for Smash, uh, thoughts on moving Small World to Epcot? I'm for it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> is, is there any chance that the ability to make dinner reservations at 180 days out will permanently disappear? Again, I'm in the I hope so category. I believe it's yep. 60 in Disneyland. It's it's going to be purely a function of demand. Yep. You know, the one thing that the company, there, there's certain things that we can say for sure. The company doesn't want empty tables, right? That's from Grumpy Dad 4. The, the <laughs> thrust behind all of these programs is to make sure that whatever capacity that they have is being utilized by revenue generating guests. So if the consequence of COVID or uh, protests slash riots or whatever, or anything else that might happen in, a, in America or the world results in, peop in there being unused capacity, then the company is going to immediately turn its attention toward filling those empty seats. That's the one. Right. And if they're full, the, one, the, the only question they have then is, are they filled with the right people? Could we replace the people that we have in these seats with people who would pay more per hour? Um, but if they're empty, then yes, they're going to take aggressive measures to fill them. If they're full, they're going to try and get more valuable guests in there. Um, that's just the way it works. Right, right. All right, two more, and then we're going to wrap up this marathon show. There's no way we got this many questions. <laughs> <laughs> I've made up the last 12. <laughs> okay. This is from KT Lorraine 78 What's your opinion on Disney removing dining plans? Do you think that the cost of a Walt Disney World vacation will increase as a result? Uh, have either of you guys ever used the dining plan? I never have. It never struck me as being compatible with the way that I like to do things. Okay, Ben, same question. Yeah, we, uh, never have. Been really? tempted okay. to, but then when we've thought about doing it, we 
we feel we have a pretty good way of uh, eating in the parks at a you use much, your mouth? Uh, better price. We do uh, sometimes. This is a South Park episode uh, fe- that proposed an alternate me- method. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're going to that next episode. <laughs> we, we baby bird our kids. Um, you know I have some. Yeah, How dare you? <laughs> We just can't. Every time we've thought about doing it, then we start doing the actual math yeah. and realize, like, no, nope, that doesn't make sense compared to how we actually eat in the parks. So we don't do it. When I would go on family vacations where we'd travel, you know, nine deep with kids and seven year olds and an autistic person, um, it didn't make sense. Marie and I did it uh, with free dining a few years ago and struggled to get the true value of what they assigned the value for the plan is, but we benefited from it ultimately because it was a free dining thing and we did rack rate at a moderate. I don't think they're going to remove dining plans. I think what they are doing here is they need to start with a clean slate and this is the easiest way to do it. Yes, they're going to get some negative feedback as a result. Yes, they're going to have headaches as everybody tries to rebook when they open things up again, but they felt that they want to change the way they do things and they would limit the number of dining plan sales if uh, they effectively are going to have, let's say, half the number of restaurants that they have. They might have the same number of restaurants, but they're not going to be able to accommodate as many people. So by changing the rules here uh, for what their capacity is, they have to change how they've sold things that they may not have capacity for. I think that's the primary motivator here. Yeah. Len and Len and uh, Jim talked about it on the last Disney dish. And I think they put it the best way is like you, you can't sell the Disney dining plan if you're not going to have the capacity to honor those sales. And with them starting at 20 to 30% capacity for the restaurants, you can't guarantee everybody who bought a dining plan is going to get their counter service or their sit down meal each day uh, or by the end of their trip. Uh, on top of, you know, they, they can't guarantee they're going to get into a park every day at the moment right, right. Uh, with, with the reservation. So as as those dining rooms expand, they get to 50, 75, 90% back to 100. Yes, the, the meal plan will return. Uh, they make too much money on right, it. Right. Uh, you, you, and you hit the nail on the head where, you know, you have to eat so much food to, you know, really get the full value out of what they charge you for it. That a lot of times, a lot of that money is left on the table by people and Disney knows yeah. that. So, uh, yeah, they're, it's too big of a profit. It'll, uh, they profit way too much off of it. It'll come back. They just got to get the restaurants back up to a reasonable capacity that they can guarantee everybody who buys it gets to eat. The thing about the dining plan is when it's sold to you as a as somebody calling Disney to book your vacation, they're not telling you. What, what we're saying on here. They're not saying that, um, you know, this is not necessarily a cost-effective means to do it. Uh, it is more, they're selling it as a matter of convenience where you don't have to bring yeah. your credit card out every time you, yep. you go to a restaurant. So uh, it is an intentionally deceptive thing that is for convenience. It's trying to bring the cruise ship model to the theme parks. Um, yep. So I, I would be surprised if that doesn't return in some capacity in the future. But uh, last question uh, is directed at Ben for those people that are wondering why Ben doesn't talk enough. Uh, I'd be curious. <laughs> this, this is from Disney guy 88. Um, <coughs> it's a shame we didn't get the previous 87 Disney guys to ask questions to show, but uh, <laughs> I'd be curious to know if real skipper Ben has any info on how they're reopening the DVC resorts. It seems like Disney will have to reopen all the deluxe resorts since they all have DVC resorts attached to them. Will they reopen restaurants too? 
Oh man, this will this will probably take me about 20, 25 minutes to answer. Go for it. Uh, <laughs> inside joke. Sorry, Josh. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yes, our, our trip this summer was uh, going to be a DVC trip, and so I can speak a little bit on this. It seems the rules change a little bit uh, week to week, but what they have done, uh, so what, what our trip was on this time, we had actually banked last year's points. We're going to use this year's points and borrow next year's points to have enough points to uh, for uh, for my entire family to stay in their own rooms. It's it's you know, a lot of points through that system to, to, to have that set up. So what they're doing, though, they're being real flexible if you need to put off your trip and, and pushing this year's points, the baking of them and uh, putting those off to next year, working with you on that system. One thing that they are doing, though, that like our our points from la- uh, last year, they've extended the window out for us to be able to use them. Uh, but we still have to use them within this use year. So that's why we're thinking of doing a trip in um, uh, in the fall sometime because we have 150 points that are going to go to waste if we don't use them, which is about $2,000, $2,500 for a, a, you know, a week long in a resort, uh, a nice resort. So if we don't use them, that's, that's just money gone away. They're not letting you carry those over to the next year. Uh, so that part kind of stinks a little bit, but the thing that is the biggest hit on people who borrow points, like we're going to have to do for next summer is because of the, they're worried about inventory moving forward with people putting off trips from this year and moving on later on down the calendar. They're worried about having enough inventory. So before you could borrow 100% of your points in the next use year, what they're doing as of right now, they're going to cap that at 50%. So we have 150 points a year. They're going to cap it to where we can only borrow 75, which puts us actually in a situation next summer where we have to cut everybody's room off by one day in the current setup, or we have to pay for an additional night at those resorts if we want to stay the link that we would have stayed this summer. So uh, that that's what they're doing right now is really the they're capping those points that you can take moving forward into future use years. Hopefully that re- changes back. Uh, that, I think that's at the initial setup right now of worried of everybody, you know, trying to book something in the next year and borrowing those points and maximizing them. But I think if people don't end up going or using their points, like they think they might use them right now, they might reset those rules back to where you can borrow the 100% again. Uh, but there's no indication that they're doing that at the moment. The otherwise, what he mentioned about restaurants opening everything, I think they have not specifically told us in any of our communications with them that anything would specifically be closed when those resorts reopen. So I'm under the assumption that when they reopen, they reopen, you know, as they were before with those dining options in there. Uh, but again, that hasn't been really clear with any of the resorts reopening, not just DVC. So I think we're all kind of in a wait and see how those things roll out uh, when things get up and running again. The DVC hotels are uh, scheduled to reopen June 22nd as well ahead of the, yep. uh, ahead of the park. So that's interesting of note. And I would be very surprised if, they didn't have at least some of the restaurants in those hotels open. Um, yep. It is uh, the other question I had related to that, Ben. Were you given any indication that not that traditionally non DVC rooms would be made available to you? Uh, no, no, Did not you say? at all. Nope. And and so I I think that's the hope that if a lot of DVC 
people do flood the market. And, and the thing that they'll quickly tell you <clears throat> when you try to talk about all these situations is the DVZ rep will tell you that this isn't necessarily their policy. This is Florida timeshare law. Yeah. That I've heard that more than I've heard it ever said before in the you know 20 previous years that we've been with DVC. It's the first time I've ever heard them reference back to Florida timeshare law. There's something on the books where uh, based on what they sell, X number of inventory has to be available to those timeshare uh, uh, clients. So I do hope that if, and I think we would happily stay at another resort. We, we don't have to stay at a DVC resort. We just want to stay on property yeah. when using our points. So uh, we'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we get there, but no, nothing has been put in the official paperwork or communication that we've had with them that uh, other resorts would, be, would become available. I would be surprised if ultimately that isn't uh, offered, but they probably are playing a wait and see game with yeah. that. So. Uh, that is uh, a, a marathon listener question show. Thank you to everybody for sending those in. Um, Josh has a piece so bad. It's, <laughs> it's funny. Josh funny. has had 47 different uh, uh, hits of sake. So he's, uh, <laughs> he, Can we put his text messages in the show notes? I'm about to burst. Wrap it up. I gotta be. He's, he's got Tom Hanks in a league of his own, a league of their own uh, written all over him. So we're going to wrap it here. If you have any additional questions or topic ideas, you can email us at martycalled at gmail.com. You can also follow Follow us on Twitter under the username at Marty Called or join in on the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Marty Called. We'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliate link over on martycalled.com. Use that link as your starting point for all your flag day purchases and we get a cut. doesn't cost you anything but helps fund the show with purchases you're going to make anyway. Ben, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Real Skipper Ben, which, which is where I do most of my talking since Josh and Tim don't let me talk on the show at all. <laughs> and you can find my uh, top 10 column in every issue of Attractions Magazine. Josh, aside from the shitter, where can we find you? <laughs> uh, you can find me at utilidors.com. That's two O's in doors, the extra one for savings. And uh, before I sign off, I do want to end on a serious note here. Uh, there's a, a friend of the Disney community that passed away this past week, uh, Tim Holmes. He was, uh, by all accounts, a good guy. I never got to meet him personally, but I've seen him in the group for the last, like, eight years over in Kingdom Cast. I, I'm pretty sure he was a fan of the show as well. Um, so, you know, it's always sad to lose one of our fellow brethren. But, uh, Tim, add a straw, brother. We're we thinking of you, Tim. Well said. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Love all. being way too friendly. He's about to fuck up Epcot.